Hello and welcome to Rewind Reviews. From your perspective, it may have only been a week since we last recorded. From our perspective, it's been bloody ages, hasn't it, Chris? I missed it. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, Stephen University sort of took over as we, we did the finale of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, so, oh, does that mean not to fucking talk about it? Because I really don't want to, uh, because we've done it enough on the podcast, but does that mean our last, yeah, our last Rewind review was it pre, pre all this madness of the current situation? Well, yeah, because I visited you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we yeah, did that it alone. Um, so yeah, for those who don't, just to, we, I, I, I wasn't going to mention it on this part, I was going to make this a corona-free zone, but just to clarify for people listening to this historically, we're, this was being recorded during the coronavirus lockdown in the UK, and most of the world, let's be honest, are in lockdown right now, but uh, in the UK particularly, we're under lockdown right now. Um, social distancing, aren't seeing people, so just just a little bit of context in case people are wondering why that is, but yeah, last time we recorded, that... it, was a, it was a different world we lived in, Chris. <laughs> yeah, does that mean we also, again, because we've talked about this on the podcast and i've i've got emotional so we won't do that again but i think i assume therefore we mentioned that the reason we were together is because you were getting measured for a suit so it's fair yes so to clarify yes the wedding also got postponed as a result of all of this yes yes um no power in the verse gone stop it it'll happen in in uh november now when's when's the new day I, i wrote it down okay i hope so <laughs> is it no, well, no i just what date was it i've forgotten the date it's uh, it's in October, yeah. October, there you go. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that was obviously very upsetting. But at the end of the day, there are people every day putting their lives at risk um, in the NHS and all the key workers yeah. in the shops and all of that stuff. Nothing compared to what they're going through. Yeah. So hats off to them. Yes. Yeah. But just for a bit of a historical context of this podcast. But anyway, yeah, moving exactly. on. But right. let's 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 not worry about that. In a box, out the window it goes. Let's talk about Little Shop of Horrors because I I don't think I've ever, and I mean this, Chris, genuinely. Because I've said a few times I've been really excited going into one of these episodes. I don't think I've ever been as excited going into a Rewind review as I am for this one. I barely slept last night. It was like Santa was coming. I was listening for the sleigh bells. (laughs) Because... Why? Because I just... Because... So... This film, uh, as we normally do, we start with a bit of our history with the film. So let me very briefly explain. This film... I I came to me when I would have been about 10, 11, sort of 98, 99-ish... Um, no, I'd have been, yeah, I'd have been about 11, maybe 12 when I found this film on VHS. My nan worked at a VHS store, so I got a copy of it. And I just was fascinated by the, the cover, basically. It just like, I was just like, what is this? And I liked Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters and Honey, I Shrunk. So I was just like, I don't, what is this? I don't know. And I had no idea what I was bringing home and popping that video in and this musical beginning and this musical with such immediate dark undertones that get darker as the movie goes on. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it just fascinated me. And we'll keep in mind, I'm the kid that, you know, look at, some, look at the list of movies I've suggested so far. The stuff that appealed to me when I was younger all had darker or adult to- tones to them. Mm-hmm. You know, you chose Toy Story. I chose Robocop. <laughs> Even my, mm-hmm. one of my more family-friendly films, Gremlins, is a pretty dark film. <laughs> ultimately so you know uh you know again i you chose snowman i chose gremlins for the christmas movie so there's a there's a theme so you can imagine my delight at this movie for a million and one reasons because there's so much insane dark comedy going on and again to to young dan it was it was just it was a very seminal moment for me i really enjoyed this film and it really it really brought to the forefront that love of mine of of, of sort of like dark comedy and then 
you know, years pass and I grew up with the film, so I watched it a thousand times, the same old story, wore the VHS through, and then I kind of, not forgot about it, but it kind of drifted out of my sphere, because, you know, you don't watch all the movies you loved as a kid all the time. But I had a good, I had a DVD copy of it that I that I turn you know turn to every sort of three or four years or whatever. Like watch it, give it a watch. Ah, oh, yeah, I love that film. But then when I was in uni, word reached me of an alternate ending. And at the time, it only existed in one form. And I'll tell the story of how this happened later because it's part of the triv. But basically, there was an alternate ending that you could get on YouTube in very low quality and black and white, and it was. F- horrendously shot like it was awful in terms of like it was a a really tiny picture terrible sound bad visuals because of the quality of the copy not the actual content but i loved it so much and it recaptured my imagination in this thing this thing that i loved but there was always this sense of discovery with little shop because it always felt like every time i turned to it i found i discovered something new about it and re-watching it this time i was excited for you to discover it because you were about to go on the journey that it took me 15, 20 years to go on in the course of a couple of days. Because I knew you were mm. going to watch it, see the ending, probably look into why that ending happened, didn't happen, wasn't used, was used, whatever. Because yeah, there's no way did, you could yeah. see that ending and not immediately do Googling. I just, I can't see a world where that doesn't happen. And wanting to know more about the story of it. And the idea that you were going to go on that journey excited me so much. Because it's a bit like Stephen University, our other podcast. A big joy of that for me is sharing a thing with my friend, you know, and letting you experience either the joy or the disdain, uh, uh, you know, over the thing. Um, and so, yeah, so there's, so I cannot express to you that despite this film, arguably not necessarily, it's certainly seminal in the sense of it was a, it was a big part of my sort of influences and tastes when I was younger and growing up. But, it, you know, I wouldn't put it at the very top of my favorite films list ever or anything like that. It's, it's very high. I love this film. It's, it's I adore this film. But it's more about the fact that I was just so excited for you to go on that journey with it. So, so knowing that I'd selected it and then, and even I learned a bunch of new stuff, discovered new things, this, doing this, watching it this week and doing the research for this podcast. I have a document, Chris, in front of me and I swear to God, it's 5,000 words long of all my research. I spent two days researching this. I really, really fear the trivia. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to get to trivet like an hour just to get through it. There's a lot. There's a lot going on because there's a really interesting story to this film. But for those who yeah. don't know the context, very quickly, I'll explain what it is. Then I'm going to ask what you thought because I'm so excited. But basically, for those who don't know, there's originally a film in the 1960s called Little Shop of Horrors. It's a Roger Coleman film. He shot it in two days because he had access to a set for two days. And he challenged himself to make a movie, not in that time, he pre-prepped it weeks and months in advance. He'd written the script in about two weeks, hired cast, done rehearsals, then set up all the cameras on those sets and shot it like a soap opera or a sitcom with multiple cameras taking all the angles in. And um, it was about a a failing sort of florist that this weird plant comes in that starts to get a taste for human blood. And the story spirals from there. I'll go into details about some of the differences between the ending of that and this later on. Cut to the 80s, early 80s, David Geffen manages to make a musical out of it um, that's a huge hit off-Broadway. Um, well, off-off-Broadway, I think, is the technical term. Um, and he immediately, because he used to be a uh, film producer over at Warner, got in touch with Warner about doing a film version of this musical he just put on. And then it all sort of comes together. Again, there's more to the story, but Frank Oz comes on board, Rip Moranis, a bunch of other people, the original writers from the stage musical, both the music and the, the script, they all come together and they produce this this film, which is, again, about a shop, uh, a sort of worn-down 
well, he's not the shop owner in this case. I don't think he's. No, I don't. I know he's. Uh, he sort of works at this shop, and he discovers this plant, and it brings him fame and fortune, but a terrible, terrible cost. It does have a bloodlust, and the story sort of spirals from there. We'll get into the details a little bit later. Again, love it. Um, the the musicalness of it, the staging of it, I, everything about this movie is it, it appeals to me. And I'm so fascinated, Chris, how you reacted going into this because if I'm not mistaken, and you can correct me here, you knew nothing going in, right? Yeah, no, no. Well, I knew, I knew. I thought, I thought it was a musical, but I'll be honest with you because I haven't seen either film. Rocky Horror Picture Show and Little Horror, Little Shop of Horrors. I've sort of, all, I've sort of always got them confused with each other because, like, right. I didn't really know either of them. Um, do you, do we do plot summaries? I can't really remember. Do you want to quickly summarize the plot? Yeah. Do you want me? Yeah. Do you want, if you want me to do it? I can do. Yeah. Do? Just do it. Yeah. Because I think like my my first sentence. Yeah. yeah okay. So the uh, plot summary of the original theatrical cut. We will talk about the the other version of this film later because it is significantly different. Um, is a film about Seymour, who is a, um, a as I said, a beaten down sort of like uh, store clerk at a, at a, at a uh, florist that's failing. Um, he finds this during an eclipse of the sun. This plant sort of is finds him almost, and he ends up um, putting it in the window of the shop. And suddenly, it's such an interesting looking plant; it's attracting people into the shop very comically. Like, well, I'm here. I'll buy a, a fifty dollars worth of roses. Can you break a hundred? No. Well, then I guess I'll have to buy twice as many roses. So there's all this, you know. Suddenly, there's all this success coming, and it's because of the plant. But the plant is starting to wilt, and he discovers that it is um, it feeds on not water or plant food, but blood. Um, and as the plant grows, that bloodthirst gets a bit more. He's also simultaneously completely in love with another person who works at the store, Audrey, who is with this horrendous human being um, uh, who beats her and mistreats her. And eventually the plant can talk and actually, whis- you know, whispering in Seymour's ear and actually convinces him essentially to to try and kill uh, this, this dentist that she's dating um, so he could be fed. The uh, the de- the death happens, uh, not necessarily directly at Seymour's hands, but not without his prodding. That's for sure, or lack of help, I should say. A bit of a bit of a Breaking Bad situation there. He feeds him uh, to the plant, and um, it's more success comes. The plant gets bigger, and more bodies start dropping, including the store owner eventually. And uh, and what it comes down to is Seymour. Re- Seymour ultimately realizes that he's got to make a choice because. The whole pl- the th- thrust of the film is that Seymour is ch- choosing to help the plant because he thinks it's the reason Audrey is now interested in him. But in reality, she always was. So he struggles with this, this what he's been doing, and eventually he decides to face down the plant because he finds out that the actual plant's goal is to is to spread across America and the world and overtake the, the Earth, and it's actually an alien from outer space. Um, in the end, he destroys the plant, and he and Audrey get to live happily ever after outside of Skid Row. That's one element I actually missed in the story, which is this whole like, subplot of that they're living in quite a rough part of um, of New York near the Bowery called Skid Row. That's uh, a really not nice place to live, and they both, both he and Audrey, have dreams of getting away from that. And in the end, they do. Um, so that's the rough summary of the film, Chris. How how'd you feel? <laughs> See, I thought. Sorry, I just put a bit of ice in my mouth to clarify ice from an ice tray, Dan. I'm uh, living living like us, living like the common folk. <laughs> uh, not not with my bagged ice, because freezer space is essential these days. This is true. Um, I thought the reason you were excited about me watching it mm-hmm. is because through Steven Universe, uh, a tea, 
it's one thing that Stephen University has highlighted is that I find body transformations yes. <laughs> or um, things that shouldn't be talking, talking mm-hmm. quite freaky sometimes. Yes. Um, watermelons coming to life, cat fingers. Yes. Um, there's a lot of that in Steven Universe. And I uh, every time I say it, Steven Universe, I want to say university. It almost always so upsets going, you is what you're getting at. <laughs> Yeah, so I yeah, it, it always it always freaks me out. Um and this film has a lot of that. Um yes, that's part of it. It did in place it did in places freak me out. That's a fucking weird movie, isn't it? Um <laughs> yeah. It, it's a really like, weird movie. <laughs> it's a really and it 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 like it only gets weirder. So it it starts and I had that I'm not a big like musical guy by any any stretch of the imagination no. um i've not even seen um we will rock you um but i there's something about like older movies and i think something about musicals that you feel a bit of warmth when they you know what i mean you feel mm-hmm. a bit of like warmth when they start and this one starts and it starts with the brilliant um downtown skid row song Mm -hmm. and i saw there's a company near where i live a theater company um to this thing i've always thought it's slightly odd but they they put on musicals where someone will write a plot and write the script but it will be it will feature music numbers from different musicals or different songs so, like, I saw one where a character, for example, burst into I Wish I Was James Bond by Scouting for Girls. It's quite, it's an, in that case, it's a song, but it's quite a musical, mm-hmm. whatever. And one of them opened with Downtown Skid Row. So I had this real sense of, uh, that general sense of, even if you've not seen it, all those all those 80s movies have a certain aesthetic to them. Um, or at least it feels like. And I kind of had that, oh, and then when that kicked in, I was like, oh, I know this song. Like, this is a bit of context for that song. Cool. Uh, And obviously a lot of affection for Rick Moranis and stuff. So I was feeling quite, you know. And then I was like, this is getting weird. And then it gets really weird. (laughs) And then it gets fucking mental. (laughs) And then you watch the alternative stuff. And it's even weirder. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not by any stretch of the imagine say imagination saying I didn't enjoy it. The thing the thing kept me looking and reading until one AM and we started <laughs> it at nine. Yeah. So I can't say I didn't enjoy it. I can't say I didn't find it fascinating, because I did, and I can see why it's a huge success. I think it has like there are things that... But then... Okay, so... Like, I don't even think it's fair to say there are some things that are a bit over the top or that you'd go, what the... You know, like, I think I think the most egregious one is actually not even anything to do with the plant. It's the motorbike flying in yes. from seemingly out of space. <laughs> but the entire movie sets up a tone and a world where that fits... And yes. that's fine. And the entire movie goes... It's like me going, it's a fucking weird movie, is fine. Because the entire movie goes, it's a fucking weird movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Like it knows it knows it. Yes. Um and yeah, I think I can't wait to discuss the alternative ending and stuff. Um I think mm-hmm. the alternative ending actually lives up to the promise of the opening cruel a bit more than the actual Correct. ending does 100%, um, which is because... why it's become such the stuff of legend even pro- propelled by its lack of being available for so long which we'll talk about but yeah 100 yeah um and in a way in a way it's bizarre because i think we will you know we will either get to the triv earlier or talk about that throughout this conversation because i think it is it is it what's amazing is I feel like it's hard to talk about this film without talking about that. And I haven't even, you know, I didn't, I only saw the film two nights ago. Yeah. Um, Because it is, it is so, you can spot the seams even before you've seen the alternative. But let's, let's talk about some other stuff first. Um, Rick Moranis is brilliant. Yes. Um, He's absolutely stunning. Um, And he, I think he plays the part very well as well. I think, I think he gets by on it being Rick Moranis quite a bit with some of the decisions the character's making later on. Oh, yeah. It's so difficult to analyse this movie without going. It's a fucking weird movie. Um, that's <laughs> I mean, my it's big, a, that's it's a really big, weird movie. That's my big takeaway. Um, okay, so that's, uh, the aesthetic of it is brilliant. I love, I love that. I love the world they create. Um, mm-hmm. I love the use of the chorus and i love yes the the, the, way... the, the greek chorus girls that, that, yes that, that sort I... of they, they sort of uh what's the word to look at bookend the whole show like they're, they're, they're there throughout even in scenes they're not singing in they're in the background um not always in their like sparkly singing outfits but as those three sort of ruffian girls that you see in the earlier part of the movie they're sometimes just present in the scenes yeah, and I love that because it feels it feels like an it feels like a movie adaptation of a stage musical. But yes, what I love is they didn't I can't particularly think of an an example at the moment, but I do know they exist. Um usually when stuff like that's adapted, like they don't they feel the need, certainly I think I would argue in the eighties and nineties, if an entire play is set in a shop or a street, mm-hmm. they'll feel the need to set scenes in the adaptation that are set in gardens, and they'll add location for the sake of adding location. Mm-hmm. Whereas this just felt like a an adaptation of the musical that stayed, for the most part, uh, incredibly true to the original, and mm-hmm. it felt it felt like a musical, but not not the worst kind of musical. Not you know. And I think the worst kind of musical is either when you're sat there going, oh, just give me the songs, or you're sat there going, oh, just give me the story. Whereas mm-hmm. this is a lovely balance of both. Mm. Um, and, like, these songs these songs instantly, um, mad, whatever that final one is, Marsh Mad Green, I don't know what the name I'm a, is. I'm a mean green mother from outer space. <laughs> Me, Green Mother from Outer Space, yeah. <laughs> instantly catchy. Suddenly, Seymour, yes. brilliant, and I mean, and yes. I think she and a lot of people, are, yeah, not as much. I don't have a five thousand word document, but I certainly went deep. A lot of people feel that um, is it Etta Green? Is that an Ellen uh, Green? Ellen Green, yes. Ellen who Green, you might who you people... might know from Pushing Daisies? Yes, yeah, uh, she played Vivian. Yeah, she did. I, I, one a.m. 
Um, and yeah. <laughs> a lot of people feel... I mean, yeah, it's occurred to me that all the stuff I was prepared to surprise you with, you already know. You blew my mind Possibly. right before we hit record when you when you mentioned the version from the 60s and Jack Nicholson. I went, oh shit, he knows. Like, he knows everything. <laughs> you see the ending of that version? Was that, sorry? Have you seen the ending of that version? I have. It's bonkers. We'll talk about it. I've got it in my notes. So, <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Um, but that actually the... kind of weirdly inspired the ending of the musical, which inspired the end of this. And we'll talk about how it all links later. But yeah, it's it's the, there's something interesting about the way they do it on stage that you might not know. That's a sort of homage to the 60s one. But we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, yes, I've uh, I've seen YouTube footage. Um, the... uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you did it. You did it's... a deep dive. I'm so glad because that's the, 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 like I said it to you today because you've been very coy with me. I've messaged you a couple times the last couple of days. Like, I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to talk to you about this film. And you've been silent every time. And when I, yeah. t- when I yeah. and I understand why you do this a lot because you don't want to give away your opinion before we sit down. Uh, but you know, no, 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 no. You know one of the main reasons I do it because you fucking do it. Like and you do it less, but you do it way more vehemently. Like I'll go if 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 it's the other way round. Like sometimes, well, I used to go. I used to give a little bit. I used to be like, yeah, I liked it. I've got some thoughts, and you'd be like, okay, cool. Whereas you you tend to go, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't recall ever saying that, but sure, why not? That sounds like me. <laughs> You're always like, oh, but if I say anything, it will indicate how I'm feeling one way or the other. And I'm like, oh, all right, fine. So now, yeah. Uh, we haven't, uh, we haven't just... had a conversation like that since we started Rewind Reviews. I think that's like an old thing from back in the day when we were doing nothing Oh, yeah, static. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but carry on, carry on. No, 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 no. You were going to say something about how I'd been coy. Oh, yeah. So I said, oh, yeah. So I said to you, yeah, I said this morning in the messages, like, you know, because I sent you something extra that we could talk about that I thought was really mm. interesting. Like something that I discovered again. There's a discovery to this film that's really nice mm. to share with people. You're not just handing them a film, you're handing them a whole world of fascination and interesting, like a rabbit hole to go down for sure, potentially, if they're interested. Um, but I didn't know if you'd gone down that rabbit hole yet. And I simply handed you this video and said, look, if you want to look at this, you might be interested in it if you found this element interesting. Um, it may colour your thoughts on stuff. You know, I don't know. You might not care, though. I'm just deep down the rabbit hole at this point. <laughs> like, mm. I was sharing it in case you were down the rabbit hole, but I I am very deep down the rabbit hole. Yeah, no, and I was. And the, the thing I was going to say about Ellen Green is... Um, yes. That's another great example where, at the start of the film, she's... I, I don't know. She, she, you can see her grating people the wrong way. Um and then you realise why. And it's a very, in a film which is quite broad, her performance, whilst broad in some places, is actually incredibly subtle. And the switch that happens when she sings Suddenly Seymour yes. and literally finds her voice more and mm-hmm. belts out that song. It was like, fuck, like, she's amazing. And, like, a lot of people... I was like reading in the comments, a lot of people were saying that they very much felt it was a deliberate choice mm. to make her make the character gain the confidence and literally gain her voice at the at the suddenly Seymour moment. Um, mm-hmm. Because what that character goes through is incredibly dark and horrific. She's basically being abused by her dentist boyfriend, who Seymour then doesn't kill, but is involved in the death of. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. 
I just and she it's... she feels like she's a monster because she's almost glad it's happened because she's no longer going to be the victim of this guy, and then she feels bad about mm. feeling relieved. So it's like her her character is in this very very sort of desperate situation and this very upsetting cycle of like you know bad things keep happening to her and then something sort of bad but also good happens at the same time because it's awful that someone died obviously and she feels bad about that but at the same time she's she knows she's no longer going to be the victim of this guy and it's like it's very confused for her you know it reminds mm. me of that that thing in harry potter you know they talk when when hermione lays out all the reasons cho chang is quite mixed up and she lays it out over this like it's this big paragraph and ron just replies one person couldn't feel all that they'd explode and it's that's exactly how i feel when i when i when i look at like when you think about how complicated the audrey situation in this movie is like everything from her self-esteem issues to the fact that they're sort of almost like she almost it's a self-fulfilling prophecy she has low self-esteem so she gets with this guy because who else is going to date her because so it's all because of her self-esteem and then he makes her self-esteem lower so it's this yeah it's this insane cycle of 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 uh, you know, self-esteem issues with a, mixed with abuse. That's just it's, it's there's something so tragic about her character, and I think that's why people felt the way they did about the 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 intended ending. Um, and certainly, one of the things Frank Oz has talked about as to why they had to change it. But we again, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, um, I 100 percent agree. Um, did so, you read the Did you read the intended casting for a potential remake? Yes, I've got some. Oh, that's in my trivia. Fantastic. Um, the so she's great. I think it. Uh, okay, so here's a question then. To um, especially because so far we've done a lot of. Well, you've done a lot of. It's amazing, and I've gone. I mean, it's certainly captivating. Um, the um, here's a question, um, which mm-hmm. is a bit more potentially uh, dissecting whether something's a problem. I don't think it's abundantly clear. In fact, I still don't really know um, whether the plant or Audrey 2, mm-hmm. whether Audrey 2, Audrey Jr. in uh, some of the other versions, mm. whether whether Audrey 2 has powers that is bringing him fame, fortune, etc., or the point Audrey 2 is making is people are attracted to you because of me and therefore I've brought you this. Is it meant to be powers? I think it's I think it's intentionally left vague because he's an alien so you so there's an there's an element of he's there's manipulation for sure because he's constantly whispering in Seymour's ear, "I did this. I brought you this. If you give yeah. up me, you'll be giving up her." Because that's how yeah. he's choosing to manipulate Seymour. I, I think it's intentionally left vague if he's got like some sort of magical powers that make him so captivating. and like Because so many people are immediately like, look at this plan. And it's played as a joke at the beginning. Because it's this really funny... Because that's the thing, is the whole movie lives in this alternate reality. And, and, and the thing I want to compliment the movie for most is the way they establish this the rules of their own reality yeah. and stick to them. It's it's a hyper-realized world where that's the case. Like you could, there's two ways you can look at it. It's a hyper-realized world where it's just a really great plant and like everyone's just like, what is that amazing plant you've got in the window? I'll buy a hundred roses. You know, that whole thing. 
Or you can say, well, actually, could this be that it's actually not that hyper-realized a world, but everything gets that way around Audrey 2 because Audrey 2 is in some way hypnotic. Um, I, I don't think... There's, I, this is a no-wrong-answer situation for me. I think either way makes perfect sense. Uh, it, could be, it could even be a little of both. <laughs> you know, it could mm-hmm. be that we live in a very heightened reality and Audrey 2 does have some mild powers. Or, if, you, if you'd prefer, you can look at it that Audrey 2 has no powers at all and is actually surprisingly helpless and... Even though he's telling Seymour, you need me, the reality is he needs Seymour, and he doesn't want Seymour to realize that. Mm. And but and to me, both versions totally work. Like both reads work because the it's it's not left. It's not it, it's not the lost problem of it's unanswerable. There's enough evidence to support either here, and neither contradict the other. Yeah, so you, and that's what I love about it. And yeah. I, I, I would prefer to think it's the second one because it just makes the Audrey two as a villain so yes, much interesting. More well, yeah, yeah, it's that yeah. it's the, it's it's the Bugs Life thing, isn't it? In Hopper, in Bugs Life, Hopper doesn't want the bugs to know the other. Sorry, the ants to know that they actually outnumber the the, the roaches. I know is he isn't he's not a roach, is he? He's what is he? He's a grasshopper. He doesn't want the uh, ants to know that they outnumber the grasshoppers by hundreds and hundreds to like thousands maybe even to one and therefore they're actually they're actually the real threat this is the situation that that, that audrey too lives in it's manipulate seymour and hope that you can convince him that he needs you more than you need him but in reality seymour would just die and will if seymour didn't feed him Uh, audrey sorry would die and will if seymour didn't feed him so it's 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 a very it is a very compelling version and that's the version i personally choose to go with um, but I wouldn't begrudge anyone yeah, imagining a more magical version of it. But what's great about this movie as well is because it dances between comedy and, and, and more serious stuff. Um, I think it's kind of... <sighs> the tone's so light that they get away with absolute murder in this movie. <laughs> they get away with stuff that, Literally. Would, not, that would not, yeah, that would not I... work in any other film. Like the joke, but, okay. the joke, the joke of the dentist getting off the bike, like Elvis, and then like almost like pointing at it and doing a little twirl, and the bike just sort of stops perfectly parked, like down the road. That's amazing, and that makes me laugh okay, so... every time. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. But here's one for you then. Mm. Do you think they toe the line too much with the Bill Murray scene? Because that really is a scene that you're like, why the fuck is this scene in the movie? (laughs) Yeah, my understanding of it, if you want a bit of background, is that the scene in the room before they go in is scripted. So the scene in in the waiting room is as scripted. But what then happened was they got into the chair... And it was just supposed to be, he puts him through a lot of pain while Seymour comes in. When he's uh, into right. it, and he's like, oh, get out of here, you crazy person. It was just supposed to be like a fun nod to the original. But apparently my understanding of it is that no dialogue was really written for it because it wasn't supposed to be a long sequence. But once they got in there, Bill Murray kind of lost his mind and started riffing tons of ad-libs. And the editors were really challenged um, at the difficulty that came with that because it was like, how do you put a coherent version of all this ad libbing together? But it was such gold between him and Steve Martin. The... Oh, it is a joy to see them. Yeah. So I think they just kept it in for that reason. You're right, though. It's the only scene in the movie that stands out because it's a different kind of weird. It's The movie is so yeah. carefully crafted that it, 
basically there's a, there's a trick to doing weird comedy where it's weird on purpose. You've got to have you've got to be able to wink at the audience so they know it's on purpose. So you have to do it very very carefully so they don't think it's just a bad movie. So when that guy comes in and I keep going back to it but that opening scene with the first customer played by Christopher Guest. When he comes in and he's like, "What is that amazing plan? It's so over the top. You know it's intentional." Mm. So everything in the movie is so carefully placed in with like laser precision because they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly the line they're walking here. But that scene, due to it being ad-libbed, it, 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 less on the line than any other part because it wasn't designed the way the rest of the movie was with that laser precision. Mm-hmm. So when you, yeah, that scene 100% stands out as not really fitting in with the rest of the movie, as, as amazing as it is to watch those two actors that- play off each other. And it's a great scene, but it's a great scene because it's Steve Martin and yes. Bill Murray. If it's two, if you're watching two unknown, and you don't forget, certainly Bill Murray, you don't forget that it's Bill Murray for the no. entire scene. No, um, in the way that you don't ever forget that it's John Candy playing the radio guy. It's yes. just he's in it a lot less. Um, and I think that it, it's actually, it's really weird. I've never quite seen a scene. There are scenes where a great actor will make the scene, but I think Bill Murray as a person makes that scene. And if you watch that scene and it was two other actors, it would be crap. <laughs> yes. And I'm talking, because usually when people say that, they mean because of the performance they give. No one else could give that performance. I'm talking exactly that scene exactly that performance but you just don't know who the fuck bill murray is it won't it wouldn't work in my opinion i know i think you probably might be right i think yeah i think there's an element of you're just excited to see what he's willing to do and you and you don't mind saying all right you've got three or four minutes of my time whatever it takes like i'll yeah like i'll I'll watch this play out Do you know what I mean? Like that is, I think that's probably like as well. It's like that's when it really starts to ramp up in terms of weirdness. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, though, because the, because of the tone they set, they they they're just constantly it's constantly being very carefully measured, and it's a very it's it's a very deliberate movie, and that's what I love about it. You mm. you, tr- you you immediately trust the filmmakers because of the way they tackle everything, like that opening Skid Row sequence. is such a one. It's a brilliant song. But the way it sets up, not just the reality they're living in, but Seymour and Audrey's desire for change, you just immediately go, you know, I trust these filmmakers now because that's just such a perfect way to bring me into this world, to bring me into the the universe that is whatever this thing is. And even if you don't know what it is, as I didn't the first time I put that VHS in the player and hit play, do you know what I mean? You just immediately, like, it's it's so deliberate and so careful. And then it's immediately followed by the customer scene with the $50 of Roses, which is just like, sets up how stagey it's all going to feel. You know, uh, it's full of great jokes, obviously. Like, I named it Audrey too. After me? Well, yeah. What do you, what do you mean after you? <laughs> like, how many Audreys do you think he knows? Um, yeah. Like, it's adorable. It's like, you love them. But like, it's, it's all very much, it feels you could totally, you could imagine yourself being picked up, pulled back about 20 feet and watching it from a distance and it being a stage show. And the, yes. ch- the choice yeah. they make to do it all on very obvious sets like we're not making these sets look like real anything these are clearly sets cartoony in design it just yeah it just it's this whole vibe it's, but it's all so I specifically think actually, chosen and it feels in a way maybe even i was wrong to say 80s because you know you i realize when you say 
that thing of it really feels like a set. You know what it reminds me in that sense of? Mm. Uh, Willy Wonka. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. It just, it, yeah, it just feels like it's kind of that feeling that you get. Um, yeah, which is, um, I, I think I, it's great to get the full story in in one go, but I also imagine like it, this is one that would really hit if you see it at the right age. Like even, yes. you know, perhaps more so than usual. How did you feel about Rick Ryan's singing? Because I think because he's such perf- so perfectly cast, he, it works. But he's obviously not the strongest singer in the world. He's okay, but he's not like... It, it becomes slightly more problematic, I think, in Suddenly Seymour, where he's singing against... I mean, Ellen Green, it's such a passionate performance... Like his charm gets him through it, but is is that enough? I I I've wondered rewatching it this week in terms of the songs, particularly that one where he's against another much stronger singer who's clearly doing something amazing. If that's enough, yeah, I think I think it was like the first, like I I. I I think part of it is because he doesn't sing in any other th- in any other role that he's famous for. So you, there is an element of like, oh, Rick Moranis is singing. Um, I think he, he, yeah, he's not comparable to the Broadway stars because obviously the guy who um, voices the plant was also, I think, in the Broadway production. Um, or at least right? was known for musical theatre, I think. Hmm. I might be wrong, but I think so. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I read that he'd been in the Broadway play. Um, so I think it's challenging, but it not it's not it's not something I noticed particularly. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, doesn't look like he's done it anywhere else. Uh, I'm on his IMDb. It would would the stage be? You'd be better off on Wikipedia, wouldn't you, to get whether he was in the Broadway production? Uh, sorry, I just said IMDb. I meant Wikipedia. I'm on his Wikipedia. Sorry, uh, oh, that's right, just, okay. that was just force of habit because I used IMDb as the base for the starts of my research. So, like with what oh, I've right. been doing with with when the when the film's got really interesting triv or more extensive triv because there's an interesting story behind it, I go to the IMDb triv, do the culling, and then I take the ones I'm interested in and I research them specifically to verify or add context. context. Um, so yeah, IMDb's on the brain, but no, it's, uh, it doesn't look like he ever did it anywhere else. Um, I was, the reason I thought that is because they very specifically say in the DVD, the documentary that comes on the, the Blu-ray, which I bought by the way, last week, the Blu-ray comes with both the theatrical cut and the director's cut full, um, mm. remarkable way to watch the movie on Blu-ray. Um, they did a thing where they very much specifically talked about Ellen Green and how it was kind of on, it was kind of a crazy thing to do at the time actually bring the broadway one of the broadway cast into the feature version and i thought if that was true of levi stubbs then it would have maybe dampened their point slightly <laughs> um, oh yeah no that's fair that's so fair. yeah so i i can't see any evidence on his wikipedia page if i'm wrong i'm wrong but like unless he maybe he maybe he's come back to do it you know years later or something i don't know but um it, it doesn't seem to be on his imdb anyway yeah maybe yeah uh. um cool so what else were kind of your before we dive into mm-hmm. the um, alternative endings in particular, I think it's a good place to start. What what else are your feelings or you got anything in particular you wanted to talk about? Yeah, there's a few, there's a few of the bits, mostly just little details. I just want to talk for a start a little bit about the puppetry in the movie. Oh, yeah. So I mean, I, the, the plant's I amazing, watched, right? <laughs> I, I watched it thinking, this is weird. 
because Frank Oz is obviously the puppet guy. Yes. So it's weird to me that they're using special effects. And then I looked into it after and I'm like, oh, fuck me. No, that was all puppetry. It's incredible puppetry. It's it, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it, there's no very there's like I think there were two visual effects that composite shots in the entire movie. The rest of it, yeah, is and that's completely the, when they I, when he um, when in in the theatrical version he um, electrocutes the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe was was the main one, and just to think that the rest of it is puppetry when it just it easily looks like it could be CGI. It, it, incredible work. Yeah. Uh, do you want to know how they achieved that effect? Because the thing that struck me rewatching it this time, because I, and I said it to Nelly, I was like, how have they got his lips moving so quickly? Because the plant talks pretty quick, right? Like when he's singing or talking, there's a lot of enunciation. It's not like, a you know, the Sesame Street puppets when Kermit's talking, it's like it's a hand, so you can do that quick movement. But these are like animatronic lips. How are they moving at that speed if they're being rigged? By the way, the big, the biggest version of Audrey operated by anywhere between thirty and sixty people at any one time, depending on how much of him was in the shot. That's insane. Wow. S- imagine yeah, sixty absolutely. people bringing you to bringing this thing to life. Incredible the work that went into this. So I went and looked into it because I was like, "How did they achieve this?" Because I, the whole movie, I just I think I said to like three separate times. How do his lips move so quick and in sync with the t- with the singing? It doesn't make any sense. I just can't imagine a puppet or even a human being able to react that quickly to move. Because the thing is, you know, like a like a Sesame Street like a Kermit puppet. It's direct, isn't it? It's hand. The hand is in the mouth, so it's immediate the re- response. Right? You you move your hand, his mouth moves instantly. But when you're doing this kind of puppet, where it's all pulleys and levers that are all miles away, none of those 60 people can't be in frame <laughs> operating him. So it all has to be done through cabling and pulleys and levers and stuff. And that means a delay, right? You can't just, you can't operate a lever and have an instant response like that. It's good. There's at least a couple of seconds, like at least a second or a millisecond, like a couple of milliseconds just to get that pulled. So how? So it turns out what they did is... For the shots where, well, okay, for the shots where it's just the, the 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 plant and there's no humans in it, they just shot it at half the frame rate. Sixteen oh, wow. frames per sec per second, or twelve frames per second, depending on which version of the plant it was, and then played it back at full speed. So they would have the audio recording of the song with Levi Stubbs' vocals. They would play it slowed down, so it'd be. You don't know what you're messing with. You know, like doing the song, but like at like a really slow down speed. They would animate, they would do it to that, and then they would just play the footage at normal speed alongside the song then at normal speed, and it would look perfect. Incredible. The real tricky part came with when he shared shots with the cast, because they didn't want to do compositing, so the cast had to perform at half speed. I shit you wow. not. Some of Rick Moranis' interactions with the puppet are slowed down. And there was it was about 10 seconds of footage of them doing this on the DVD. I wish there'd been more. I don't watch the whole documentary of just them figuring that out and how that works. Incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. Hopefully they'll do a, a Netflix, you know, the Movies That Made Us episode on it. Oh, I would love that. This this got such a story. They should absolutely do that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about the puppetry in general. Well, first of all, the design of the puppet. I mean, it's a creepy looking plant. Actually, we didn't actually hit on that. How how because because one thing I loved about this movie as a kid 
was how it really surprised me how creepy in this this film can be in places like the scene where mushnik gets um killed which i think what's the song mm. for that called it's called supper time i think supper you know, time supper time and, the, and the, the the chorus girls are like perfectly in shadow supper time and it's the tensest oh, fucking moment yeah. of the movie oh mate it's so it's so intense like I was watching it, going, I can't believe how intense this is. Like this is <laughs> thirty crazy. seconds ago, there was a talking plant. <laughs> like it's yeah, and in answer to your question, so creep, mate. I was creeped out from the bit where he's asking for the blood. Oh no! Yes. <laughs> but that's a, that's a movie doing its job. You can't criticize it for that. That's... Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not criticizing. Yeah, it, good. No. good, good. I'm not criticizing the movie. I'm criticizing the experience. <laughs> Did you watch it with Jess? Uh, yeah, she gave up. <laughs> she, she she was like, I don't know what this is, and then fell a bit asleep, and then I woke her up with like 20 minutes to go, and was like, you've been asleep for like half an hour. She's like, okay. She was like, it's weird. I'm like, I know. It, it is weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's weird. There's a lot going on. Um, let's talk then about the um, about some of the other bits and bobs. So like, let's talk about some of the other... Let's, well, should we talk about the cameos? There are littered throughout this cameos. We've already talked about the Bill Murray one. But did you find any of those distracting? Because some have sort of criticised the film, like being like, oh, suddenly here's, um, uh, you know, here's Steve Martin, here's Bill Murray, here's John Candy, here's Christopher Guest. Like, it does feel like a, like every couple of scenes there's just like, here's another one. I can... I don't... It didn't bother me. I guess as a kid I didn't really care about that sort of thing anyway. But it is one criticism that's been held at the movie. How do you? How did you feel watching it? Because you, you must... Were you, expe- were you expecting the cast? Were you, like, did John, did John Candy come on screen and your brain just... What? what, what? Like, did you... Or did, were you aware of it? How do those people criticising this for that feel about Anchorman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, I think it's. I think, but in all seriousness, like I think it's such a common thing now that no, I didn't particularly notice it. I did go. I did have that moment of oh, John Candy's in this film. Oh, Steve Martin's in this film. Oh, mm-hmm. Bill Murray's in this film. Um, like so. Uh, that's with no offence to Christopher Guest. I just knew I didn't. He didn't register with me right away at first. Um, so I definitely recognised and acknowledged them, but no, it didn't feel overdone um but i think that you know as much as i was making a joke with the anchorman thing it, that could be the reason why it's so it's not that uncommon in a modern day film especially a comedy to get that so right that's fair yeah yeah that's fair bringing in like big comic comedians just to do like small parts because they'd love that sort of thing yeah yeah that's fair um let's talk about the dentist then let's talk about uh let's talk about thingy's character um steve martin's character um obviously a partially a um partially a uh an elvis sort of vibe to him um intentionally in design the way he talks and you know oh mama you know doing a lot of that sort of thing um an incredible performance but an interesting character because he's obviously <laughs> his opening scene where he's introduced i maintain that you know the sun be a dentist song is a is a perfect sketch you could cut that out of this movie and I've just uploaded yeah. it and told me it was like an old Saturday Night Live short that they did, you know, like a like a skit they did on Saturday Night Live, and I'd be like, brilliant, <laughs> because it's mm. the, the setup of the song is he's like when he was younger he was like he'd hurt animals and he'd do all this like kind of violent stuff, and his mum was like, you need to find a job that's gonna put you, you know, put that sick mind of yours to good use, you know, son, be a dentist. So the premise, the premise that he's this sort of like masochist. <laughs> 
like found his calling in dentistry because it just he gets to cause people pain every day for his job. It's like super messed up, but fucking hilarious. And and the way he plays the character is stunning. And the entire sequence of that song and the visuals of him going around the, the his dental practice, like just abusing people in various ways, it's it's just so funnily done. And he just gives. 110% to the performance. Um, I was just wondering how you'd sort of, how you'd felt about that. Because I think, you, I think, I, I don't agree with this, but again, you can see some argument that maybe it's a little over the top to make him so evil. Because uh, it's, it's a, it, essentially people are suggesting that that's obviously done to make Seymour's decision a little bit easier. And is that a bit simple? But I, I think it works perfectly well, personally. But like that's something I've I've seen. So what, how, did, how did you feel about the dentist? Yeah, and I think I've... I think having never seen it before, you are quite because there's there's. I think the challenge is, and certainly in a modern context, mm. there's the spoofy villain song "Be a Dentist," where he you 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 roll your eyes at him, and then a couple of scenes later he's beating her, and that's that's that is a different tone. They like. Yes change the tone with his character and that was just a bit where jess and i were like what the fuck is going on like seriously like mm. you've got you've literally got abuse it, it like it it yeah and it's a testament that the film juggles that the tone juggles that tonely and it doesn't feel do you know what i mean like we we signaled the bill murray scene as being the scene that seemed out of place like for this for them to feature that and it not seem out of place in the same way is quite a feat um Mm -hmm. but in terms of the character i think you do that is quite a shock when that happens it's a shock to i didn't expect that in the film but then the kind of again the film layers that i didn't expect that when the when they start like swearing at the end like i didn't expect that mm-hmm. so yeah the um the but thing- it jars i think in a modern in a coming to it having never seen it before and not expecting that it sure. it, it throws you off kilter yeah i think the movie does a good job setting up because when audrey first shows up she's got the black eye and the guy, yeah, very true. And and yeah. and and the and he's and you know uh, Mushnik is telling her, you know, he's 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 no good. That boyfriend of yours. And there's the, they do play it. it. There's moments where it's played like a joke, like where uh, there's a great one um, where, <laughs> where Rick Moranis' character is referring to the plant. He goes, "Oh, Audrey too is not a healthy girl." And Mushnik's like, "Between you and me, I don't think Audrey one's a healthy girl either." <laughs> And it was just, mm. it's like, as always, she just, she just, she, she's still spending her time with this guy, um, even though he's obviously um, hurting her. Um, and there's a, there's a recurring joke about handcuffs that's, that's again, funny, but a dark edge to it, which is the entire movie, really, I guess. Like, it's, it seems kind of silly to like point it out almost because it is, the whole yeah. movie is like, the whole movie is a funny thing undercut with a dark thing. That's the that's the movie top to bottom. Like it's 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 this funny talking plant that's eating people. You know, it's you know there are these charming songs about you know living in New York, but the lyrics are like so depressing. Uh, you know, like, so it's it's very much a movie that that has a mission statement and sticks with it. Mm, absolutely. So that's uh, sure. Are you ready for alter- alternative ending? Yeah, so, so, so can I start by just sort of explaining the story and what happened for people who yeah, don't course, know? Yeah. Is, that the, is that the way to go into the ending? Yeah, definitely. So uh, the original film has a pretty interesting ending. Um, Audrey doesn't die, and neither does Mushnik, and there isn't like a secret plot. 
for the plant to take over the world. It does get very big, but in the movie, when it starts blooming, the original movie, when it starts blooming, the faces of the people Audrey 2 has ate are in the flower, which tips people off that Seymour was feeding people to the plant. So it sort of exposes Seymour's slightly evil nature that he's been feeding people to this plant. There's even a scene where Seymour kills a prostitute and feeds her to it. It's really messed up. It's, it's a, it's a, you think this movie's weird? The original, I think, is weirder. <laughs> I've only ever seen it once, but I don't, I don't think I'd watch it again. Um, the authorities sort of, like, start chasing Seymour for the murders, essentially. Um, and he goes back to the plant shop and then kills himself. Oh, he jumps into the plant trying to kill it. But then the plant swallows him, if I remember rightly. And that's Yeah, when... it happens very, very quickly. Yeah, it does. And then Audrey, Audrey runs in. And a new flower blooms on the plant with Seymour's face on it. And he's like, I don't mean it. And he apologizes for, essentially for all the deaths he's caused. So with that being the source material, the musical kept the darkness of the ending and made some changes. Where basically um, in the musical, the plant basically attacks Audrey. He does get her away from the plant, but she's dying. And she basically says that, you know what? because so, I love you, I want you to keep having success this is before they know that the plant is evil I mean, you should have known anyway, it needs people to survive but this is before they know the plant is like world domination evil uh, she basically says for Seymour to live she's gonna give up herself, and there's a song earlier in the in the movie where she talks about going somewhere that's green meaning like a suburban home Um, she then reprises that here as she is sacrificed to the plant then finding out the true plan of the plant to conquer the world, he confronts the plant. Um, and the plant... Well, actually, is it different in the Broadway? Let me just double check. I don't think it is. Let me just verify. So, yeah, so, oh, yeah, Audrey and Mushnick are eaten as well as the plant. And then Seymour tries to fight the plant at the end. And the flowers... Yeah, so then... So, yeah, so exactly right. So Seymour then gets eaten by the plant, confronting it. And then... <laughs> The main cast will come back on stage, but in flowers, and tell the story, essentially, of the plants, then world domination, essentially. So that was the musical. So when it came to doing the movie, um, this is where it gets interesting. They had a production meeting, and the guy who was putting this on, David Geffen, who had actually been the producer on the movie too, there's a bit of background David Geffen, he'd been a, um, he'd been a vice president at Warner Brothers, then he had a cancer scare. And the cancer scare had led him to quit his job and retire from Warner's. And then he turned out he was fine. Um, so he got back into producing, but not necessarily for Warner's. But when this came up, this project, he, he had a lot of contacts at Warner's, which is why this movie happened at Warner Brothers. Now, he had a meeting with um, Howard Ashman, who wrote the stage show, and advised that in the film version, they could not do the sad ending where the plants take over the world. They just couldn't. And... Ashman stood pretty strong on that and said no. He, he he thought Seymour would be on morally shaky ground because if he were to get off scot free, that's problematic because he's essentially contributed to murders. Now, when Frank Oz came on to direct it, he agreed. So Geffen conceded and supported them. He wanted to support their vision, and they filmed it as is. Now, I'm going to now read you um, a section of text from Frank Oz describing the test screenings once they'd made and edited a version of the movie together. <laughs> we went to San Jose for the first preview, and everyone was very excited about it. For every musical number, there was applause. They loved it. It was just fantastic. Until we killed our two leads. 
and the theatre became a refrigerator, an icebox. It was awful. And the cards were just awful. They were saying they hated us for killing them. You have to have a 55% recommend rate to really get released as a film. We got 13. (laughs) After the San Jose screening, I said, can we try one more time in LA to see if the reaction is different? David supported me, and when we did it, we had the exact same reaction. This time we got about a 16 or something. Howard and I knew what we had to do. We had to cut that ending and make it a happy ending or a satisfying ending for the audience. We didn't want to, but we understood they could not release it with that kind of reaction. We had to do it and do it in such a manner that the audience would enjoy the movie. It was dissatisfying for both of us that we couldn't do what we wanted. So creatively, no, it didn't satisfy us in terms of being true to the story. But we also understood the realities. They simply could not release the movie with that ending. Now... Over the years, Oz has talked about the different reasons why he thinks this has not worked, but he puts it down to two main things. First of all, he talked about how he underestimated the power of the close-up to make you care for a character. When someone's on stage and you're a bit further about, there's this weird sort of barrier of distance. They don't feel as real to you, so you're not as sad to see them yeah, die. He, he also talked about the fact that you know that the actors yes, are going to come on that, stage at the end and bow. Ex- exactly. That's, that was the second one. So yeah, so the, yeah, basically, he. Uh, I think, I, have I got the quote here? Um, I learned a lesson. In a stage play, you kill the leads and they come out for a bow. In a movie, they don't. They're dead. (laughs) They're gone and the audience just lost people they loved. (laughs) That's his exact quote. So despite telling them it would be a bad idea to do the sad ending and it wouldn't work, um, he trusted them and did it anyway. Poor David Geffen had to (laughs) dole out another two million in production costs to shoot new footage for the ending. So, the stuff that they binned for a second, let's just talk about the cost for a second. The movie's total budget was $25 million. It's unclear if that includes the extra $2 million in reshoots or not. So it could be 25 could be 27 But roughly 25 They spent $5 million putting together the original Plants Take Over and Destroy Everything ending, which is what the movie did. So for those who don't know, I suppose I haven't really explained yet. Yeah, basically, the plant tries to eat Audrey, fails, but she does die. Seymour sacrifices Audrey um, to the plant. And he goes to kill himself because he can't deal with a world without Audrey. And then he finds out that the plant's plan is to spread. So he goes to confront the plant and then the plant eats him and does indeed spread. And the final sequence of the movie is just plants rampaging through New York. Cars are crashing. Subways are being eaten. People are running. They're screaming to this amazing piece of music. One of the best songs in the whole thing called Don't Feed the Plants that's been in my head for about a week and a half now. I just can't fucking get it out of my head, Chris. So good. It's this amazing piece of music. It's a, such a dark ending. And in, and in my opinion, it is the better ending, but we'll talk about what, what, for what we don't know a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that that whole sequence, because of its scale, cost $5 million to make. So if the movie was $25 million and it cost $5 million to do that ending, they binned one-fifth of the movie's budget by putting that footage in a bin. <laughs> wow. It's Talk about wouldn't it? It's, ins- it's yeah. mad. So the ending they replaced it with, when Audrey is bitten by the plant, and, or half eaten by the plant, and Seymour rescues her, she's actually fine. And then the guy approaches them and tells them about the plant selling it, and they realise that Seymour's going to have to confront the plant. He electrocutes the plant, destroying it. They get to go live in the in the better homes home that she that Audrey envisioned, and in the in the little tag on the end is the Audrey two, 
well, there's a version of Audrey 2 in their garden planted looking evil and like, you know, <laughs> you know, like a little little teaser. So it's kind of a little bit of a darker ending, but both the leads survive. Big difference. So now that ending, when they did it, you won't believe this, tested and scored off the charts. No, I, I, no, I, I do get it. I, 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 it'll be, this will be interesting because I, I prefer the, I prefer the theatrical ending. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Okay, let's talk about it then. So, what 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 do you think is better about the theatrical ending? Then, what worked for you better about that than the darker ending? Other than, well, I, and I and and I would refute any to clarify as well the version you've seen of the not theatrical ending of the intended ending. We talked about this already, but um, personally, but just for the listeners, they recreated yeah. it yeah, recently. Because that, that is a, a part. Story, that is a part of it. There's a story to that as well which i'll tell i suppose when we get to the trivia but the reason this footage is now available is based on a work print and it is very not edited and it is long and it is too long and i 100 percent agree with that the shorter version plays way better which i found and we'll talk about that again a little bit later but yeah the, the, but the editing and the length of it shouldn't really play too much of a factor because we're basing it on a work print so purely based on the decisions made story-wise what's the what's the uh, what's the issue with the with the darker ending or what's the benefit uh, of the the happier ending yeah, I think because I, when I watched them on the same, I've only just before recording watched the shorter version. The shorter version is a lot better, yeah, and it's not quite as strong as it was last night um, when length was a part of it. I think, I think I kind of agree with the character stuff. It's such a dark ending, and for me, that little tease and the notion that they haven't quite beaten Audrey two yet is is dark enough without the entire world getting destroyed <laughs> um one element of it the notion of of the audrey 2 coming out of the theater screen is wonderful That's like so, so so clever and i imagine if it had of been on the actual ending it would have been incredibly impactful um yeah for just, I just to clarify for those who haven't seen this ending it ends with um and Audrey 2 bursting through the, like, they make it look like Audrey 2 is bursting through the screen in the theatre you're watching it in. So the idea yeah. of seeing that in a cinema is a, a, an incredible thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just think it's just too far. And, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, that's a real subjective thing. Um but I think, you know, suddenly Seymour is so triumphant, so you want to see them get a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, fucking plant freaks me out. I don't want the plant to win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there's also, like, th- I think there's some logic stuff as well. Again, just personal, and you, you accept so much logic in this movie. Why would you not accept this? But, like... Do all these, does nobody notice the plants getting massive? And would nobody, if there's many of these, like you buy Seymour's action because he's got the only plant. But if if Jerry next door has got an Audrey and Audrey too is growing and both Audreys are growing at the same, at the same rate, wouldn't you turn to Jerry and be like, who are you killing, Jerry? (laughs) (laughs) How how are you feeding this thing blood? Like, I've not seen your wife about in ages. Mm. Yeah. But you don't think there's an element of God? I've had to kill people to keep my one alive. Uh, <laughs> like I hope like, I can't admit that I've done that by bringing it up with someone else. Um, 
well that's i think that's that stretching of reality thing um i it's a lot of fun i'm not denying that but i just yeah i like the relatively happy ending i i suppose a bit and i i don't to the thing about morality like should see or not get some sort of retribution for having been responsible indirectly or directly for for deaths Yes, but I think they do a fairly good job of making it pretty indirect with the dentist. Um, like, yes. it's literally his own laughing gas that he um, that, on. Almost, almost essentially overdoses on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think it's played quite... You could almost see Seymour not being sure what to do about... Who's the, what's the boss called? What, sorry, what was that? Uh, what was, who's the boss? Mr. Oh, Mushnick. 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 Um, I think they, maybe not completely, it's quite clear what's going to happen, and certainly Seymour's reaction after isn't one of anger or sorrow, which sorrow which damages it, but it's sort of, you you can feel like he doesn't, that he doesn't want to do that in mm. that moment, um, and you can certainly feel the plant has turned him. Um, I also, I think a big element of it that I'd love to get your thoughts on. I don't think they do enough in the film to justify Audrey going, you know what, feed me to the plant. Like, I just didn't particularly buy that. I was like, that's huh? Yeah. Um, so that's a part of it as well. But it's not, you know, we're not talking 80% for one ending, 20% for the other. It's a lot closer than that. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the, look, I grew up on the on the happy ending. Like, that's, until a certain age, that's all I knew. You know, um, it's all a lot of people knew. Um, it's interesting. So for me, like, well, I'll talk about the Audrey thing first. Um, it, it's a bit muddled because, again, I don't want to lean too much on the idea of deleted scenes. It's a shame. There's a missing sequence, a dream sequence, um, that shows that just lays out his uh, dilemma a bit clearer. Um, you know, the, the the idea of, oh God, it's the plant or Audrey, essentially. Because if I, if I do the right thing and take out this plant, I'm going to lose her, you know, and by helping the plant, I'm keeping her. Like the way that the, it just lays that out a little bit more. And with Audrey, as a result of that, you sort of, you start to understand because of the way they lay that out, they have this scene that's a, that's cut from this version. That's a direct response to that, where Audrey says that she basically do anything for him. She loves him regardless of the plant. And it's such a shame that they cut that out because it really sets up how much, in a cleaner way than the, the actual movie does, she cares for Seymour and how much she would just do absolutely anything for him. But with the version we've got, minus that scene, you're right. It is a bit of a jump. Um, but I think because it's done alongside a reasonable amount of her basically making it very clear that she, you know that she wants Seymour to be happy, um, they just about get away with it. But I, I can't really pinpoint exactly how and why because you're right; it is it is it is definitely a jump to suddenly go. You know what, Phoebe did the plant. But I guess you're dying, and you know you're dying. And the person you care about is about to, could lose everything if that plant dies. I could see somebody going, you know what? Like, it's not going to matter. <laughs> um, and then, then, and of course, the, the, the reason I think as well that I get 
get along with that ending so much better is that payoff of somewhere that's green is so brilliant to me that I'm sad mm. for the audiences that have never gotten to witness that because that is such a clever and dark use of a reprise. I, holy hell. When she says somewhere that somewhere that's green and then they play a version of, uh, the, of Skid Row, like musically just an instrumental version, while he sacrifices her to the planet and lays her in its mouth, like, oh my God, that sequence is chilling. Absolutely, yeah, and, I th- and I think I think that's the other reason why I'm like, no, don't, don't, nah, I prefer the other because it's so effective, because it's so creepy and horrible. Yes, and it's when just those so, double like, doors because... open and the plant's just waiting for Audrey to be fed to it. Oh man, yeah, it's it's horrible, and it's because like, yeah, you can make an argument that Seymour's done a lot that's morally questionable, so Seymour doesn't deserve the happier ending, but Audrey does. Audrey certainly does. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's like fair. it's 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 but, it's but the how ultimate effective... way to punish the ultimate way to punish Seymour is for him to lose Audrey. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but then he himself is also killed. Um, yes, yeah. I think it's so it's so effective. They also seem to me to cut the. I was surprised by this, and I don't know if you've got anything on this. Watching them both close together, they appear to cut him finding out that Audrey two's an alien. In the it, that's not in the alternative ending, which I thought was interesting. Well, it's there because he describes himself as a mean green mother from outer space, but they don't have the insert shot uh, that they must have added yeah. after the test audiences went. What is he an alien? Because, because they've inserted a shot of Seymour going from outer space, <laughs> which yeah, which I which was effective, it, though. which admittedly does do the job of landing it. It, it. Look, I'm I'm mocking it for its overtness, but, you know, audiences yeah. need information. I think, it's, I, <laughs> I think it's how effective... Going back to the Audrey thing, I think that's it. I think it's how effective that alternative ending is that just makes me go, no, no, bleh. <laughs> yeah, I, and I totally get that, cause, but that's what I love about it. I, I glory in the um, the boldness of it. But I think, but I think you have an advantage where because you sat with the other one for so long. For you, it's a true alternative ending. For me, because I watched them both literally one after the other, it almost feels like two choices. Yes, understandable. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Does that yes, make sense? Yes. But I, I think in future, if I ever sit down and watch this movie, I'm watching the theatrical cut. It just feels more like where it was all going. Cut, do you mean? Oh, sorry, the director's cut. Yeah, sorry, the director's cut. Yes, it's certainly like after watching it, I was like, well, that makes main, way more sense of the title card. Like, why didn't they change that? <laughs> yeah, it's weird they kept the title card, but then didn't because that title card sets up an alien invasion movie essentially. <laughs> like, it's very strange that it doesn't end that way. But I mean, for a couple of reasons though. Like, so first of all, I think that some of the green, some of the green thing is just so mind bending. I think the visual effects for the final sequence. With the editing aside, because it is too far too long. Um, holy hell, are those shots of the plants raging through New York amazing? Like every yeah, one are. of them. Yeah. They're they're clever. They're innovative. Like when it blows down the like the the smokestack on the top of the building, and the building blows out. That's hilarious. It's really clever as well. That final shot of it on the um on the Statue of Liberty, laughing while the music rises, singing "Don't feed the plants, don't feed the plants, whatever you do, don't feed the plants," and then Seymour bursts through the screen, and it's the end? Question mark? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Everything about yeah, that works. Powerful. It's so good. Like I will literally like when I sat 
to watch. So the, the way I came across it, and I should, we should talk about this a little bit. So what happened was, right, so they released the movie and they don't say anything about an alternate ending. They don't tell no one. Except for two screw-ups, right? <laughs> that gave the game away and created a huge myth around this ending, right? So the first thing they accidentally, well, not accidentally, maybe intentionally, I don't know. When they put the soundtrack out, it had Don't Feed the Plant on it. <laughs> <laughs> So the the CD had a song on it that's not in the movie. So it naturally made people go, hey, what's, uh, what's going on with your movie? And the other thing was, they had pre-had a deal with Tops to make um, a trading card set based on the movie, right? Which was like a popular thing to do at the time. Now these trading cards were just pictures of scenes or characters, right? But there were tons of them that depicted the destruction of New York at the hands of the plants. Which, again, was not oh, wow. in the movie. So people sat down, and they were presented in, like, full colour as well. They were beautiful. They were on the, the you know, they're on these on these trading cards. So, like, everyone was just going, like, what what's happening here? We've got this song, Don't Feed the Plant, that's not in the movie. We've got this footage of an Audrey destroying it. And it became very clear there was an ending that was, that was kind of lost. Now, unbeknownst to me, you know, because whatever, like... You know, I was I was a child in the nineties. Like this, this all passed me by completely. I, I only saw the movie ninety eight, ninety nine at best, and that, this is actually when that ending finally was seen by people. And what happened was, Warner Brothers contacted Frank Oz and said, "We're doing a DVD," and this is when DVDs first launched in the states, and it was all about extras. That's how you were getting people on the DVD train over video. That's how you were going to convince them to switch formats because we've got all these extra. Which, which is it's such a shame that that sort of then went away. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I, I 100% lament the loss of, of the DVD extras because we've got so much great stuff out of it. And they said to Franco's, hey, you know that ending you were really sad to lose? And he went, yeah, the one that that guy spent millions of dollars and a year working on. It was, it was like one main dude as well called Richard Conway. Poor bastard. He dedicated a year of his life to making that destruction in New York sequence. Fucking hell. Poor bastard. Uh, British guy in London just like slaving away at sets and models and ah, oh, gutted for him. Uh, to this, I, I don't think, yeah, I can't even imagine. So Frank Oz had to make that call. So it was yeah, the hardest yeah. phone call he ever had to make was telling that guy his year of work was worthless. <laughs> um, uh, awful. So they got in touch with Frank Oz and said, we're doing a DVD. We want extras. You got that ending. Because we'll stick that as an extra on the DVD. It seems like a pretty simple thing we can do. The movie's 10 years old at this point. No one gives a shit. We'll put it out. And he went, yeah, fucking have it. And the only version he could find was a black and white transfer that had been made that he'd made a copy of at the time as a, um, as just like a, I don't know, just like because he was just, the footage was being transferred around. He had this black and white, essentially tape of the of that version of the ending. And he sent it to them and they uh, transferred it as best they could to digital. And they stuck it on the DVD. Two days after that DVD comes out, David Geffen calls Warner Brothers and says, what are you doing? Like, pull that immediately. And they did. <laughs> they In the first mm. example of a DVD being recalled was that one for that reason. Because David Geffen was like, why would you put out this horrible black and white version of this? If we want to do it, let's do it properly. And, he, and his goal was either get the color version out, which he at that point was convinced existed still, and at this point, is it worth stating? So this is I've not I didn't actually look at this. I assume this is Geffen Records, David Geffen. Yes, correct. So at this point, 
this man's got a lot of power as well. I'm, I'm, to be honest, he may still do. I don't know what the... He had, a, he had a lot of power throughout the 70s and 80s too. So yeah, he's a very respected businessman and producer. And, you know, he was, like I said, he was involved in this from day one, from the musical onwards. He's been involved heavily in this project. So he calls Warner Brothers and is like, hey, fucking pull the DVD. What are you doing? Because <laughs> he had visions of either a, re- a new theatrical release with the original ending restored because it's a cult movie now which by the way it's one of those movies that did okay in the box office but really took off on home video so the dvd release of this movie was a big deal um because it was a, it had been a movie that had always done very well on home video um he was like or if we do just want to put it out on a dvd let's at least do it in color come on like what are you doing and he was at that point convinced a color version existed so they pulled the dvd it became one of the most sought-after collector's items. It never came to the UK because it didn't get released in the UK till about a year, year or two later. And um, by that point, obviously, they'd already pulled that special feature. But in America, it was this like a handful of people had gotten hold of this ending. And then YouTube came along in the thousands. <laughs> and suddenly you could see it <laughs> um because the, this honestly this ending was the stuff of legend the only way you could see it basically from 1998 till about like what 2007 you know when youtube started to really gain traction or, or video sharing sites in general was was if you had this dvd in your hands um and i remember being in uni and seeing it pop up on my youtube feed and watching it and just my mind melting at this incredible clever dark ending with this amazing song i'd never heard because i hadn't heard the full soundtrack i didn't know this song even existed mm. um and then looking into it and finding out that basically 10 years earlier when they would pulled the dvd it was because they were hoping to eventually put it out there in color and then they discovered it did not exist no one had a color high quality version of this footage and then it laid once again in the realms of myth <laughs> and mm. insanity like that. Cut to 2011, Warner Brothers found some footage in a uh, vault. They then managed to locate the the guy because oh yeah sorry I should have clarified there was a there was a fire at a Warner Brothers um, storage facility at one point. That's why a lot of it was lost. By the way, that's why yeah. Mm. Um, they then found so they, they they found some footage that had been deemed lost because of this fire, but they didn't have all of it. But then they realised obviously a lot of it had been shot in London with this other guy, Richard Conway or whatever. How much stuff was in the vaults in the UK? And they started combing through the different archives and realised that while they didn't have a complete cut of this ending, they had all the footage needed to put one together. And it, while it would cost some money to do so, they decided to go ahead and do it. Now, outside of Frank Oz's control, they took that work print, black and white version that Frank Oz had passed to them as the basis and then started putting the various bits of footage they had found back together to recreate it as it was in that black and white version. In 2012, Frank Oz had announced that was going to get a DVD release, and he'd been so thrilled that it was finally going to be seen that he authorized it um, and sort of like gave it its blessing. Because at that point, they'd been marketing it as the intended cut. That's what they were going to call it mm. when it came out on DVD. But he was like, absolutely, just call it director's cut. That's absolutely fine by me. It, it's restored in its original state. I'm very excited that people are going to get to see this version. So they put it out as the director's cut. And you'd think that would be the end of the story, right? We all get to see the ending finally. Um, Except it slightly wasn't, I found out last night. <laughs> so during my research, I discovered that basically 
someone uncovered a version, again, low quality colour this time, but low quality, of the ending that seems to be the one shown to the test audiences. And even though Frank Oz has always said he would have cut that ending down, this version already is. Which just goes to show you, you can't always trust the memories of people 30 years on. <laughs> but that was, that was found after, the, after the longer versions out. and yeah, okay. So they couldn't use that as a blueprint to cut it down. Sadly not, because by the time it was found, that DVD was on shelves. <laughs> but also, I imagine Frank Oz was kind of like, I've wanted people to see this for 30 years. Fucking see it all. Well, yeah, there must be an element of that. I think what I would have done if that, if I, if I'd have had that tighter version personally, is I'd have used the tighter version to make the actual. You sit down and watch the whole movie as a whole on the DVD, and then I'd have had the full extended sequence. As yeah, but a they, bonus you're feature. saying they didn't. You're saying they didn't have the tighter version, though. No, no, I'm saying in a world where you did, though, you wouldn't want to. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you, 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 just if you're if you're Frank Oz, you want everyone to see it. You'd have that as an extra. You wouldn't force them then to edit the longer version into the movie, if that makes sense. So it's such a shame, really, because like that's the perfect version of this DVD that's due out maybe one day. Though maybe they will just do a do a do a um, they'll do a Blade Runner or and call it like the final cut or something. But so where I, was that found then? Where was that three minute version? Found? Fuck knows. Uh, like I've looked into it. Wow. And the guy that I found a copy of it on YouTube says it had been sent to him and said it had been uncovered and sent to him. So someone dug it out, sent it around, and then it just got shared everywhere. Also shared was the dream sequence I mentioned. Um, that, right, okay. The, that, so that's something that's not existed ever. That was a... Well, Frank Oz remembers cutting it before the preview screenings, the dream dream sequence, but it's in this cut, so it, I think he cut it later than he thinks he does. I mean, it must... Understandable. You know, you're you're chopping and changing stuff all the time in these movies, knowing the exact point in which you cut a thing or didn't cut a thing is... But Yeah, absolutely. But how how amazing is that story of that footage being found again? What's, it's incredible. And what's funny about all that, Chris, and you, you probably don't know this, is I had no idea. So I what, saw... Until... Yeah, I saw... On YouTube, the black and white version in 2007, and never thought about it again. 2012 passed, that DVD came out, I had no idea it existed, until about a month ago, two months ago, just before I chose it for this, for this. Because I was looking, oh, wow. because I was looking at, what do we do next? And I, and I was like, oh, I love Little Shop Horrors. I googled that ending again, looking for the black and white version, and while that does come up, what also came up was the color version, and my my head fell off my shoulders because I was like, "Wait, sorry, this exists." And I googled it, found out what had happened, and was like blown away. And then and then this week or last week, purchased the Blu-ray with the, with the, with both because I absolutely want to own that. Um, but yeah, I had no idea. So I went. I lived in a world where that ending existed for like eight years more than I needed to. <laughs> so I only got to see it in its full glory in the last month. It, that's crazy. It, the whole story is great, and it's and it's a. I just think it's a fascinating, really interesting. I want, I want the movie that movies that made us episode on it. Um, and yeah, I just what an exciting moment when that was found for the for the fans and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, incredible to finally have a version of it. I mean, admittedly, based on the work prints, maybe a little too long, whatever you want to complain about, but like, holy hell, to see it in its full HD glory, like I never thought I'd live to see that. 
I never thought that would exist. Frank Oz was insistent that it didn't exist, and it had t- it'd been t- you know ten years had passed and no one had said peep about it. So it was like you know no one said you were just like okay no one had, no no one knows nothing about this movie like okay it doesn't exist and that footage is clearly gone. The idea that they went and like dug out all the individual like actual uh you know the, the original cuttings to like put it back together like that way is just apparently they it was three separate vaults in three separate locations that they found it because the problem with that whole sequence as well is half of it was shot. Um, half of it was shot uh, on a like a small you know like stage, and half of it was shot in the proper Pinewood Studios. Um, so you know it it wasn't all shot in the same place, which is why the footage ended up in such, such different places. Because obviously, there's half it of it is cut together. Of real though. people. It's just it's just too long. Yeah, yeah, it's too long. It's too long. But but that that two and a half minute version or the three minute version I sent you is perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Because it's it's about it's about four minutes long shorter than the version that's on the DVD. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, uh, should we get to the truth quick and try and? Yeah. Can I just say the because I know you touched upon it earlier. It's so. I, I want to say how weird the ending of the original movie is, <laughs> like as well, because like you, I I read on Wikipedia. Oh, the original movie ends exactly as Dan described, with him running back in, him being like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna feed you or something." And then face appears on a bud, and the buds droop, and the the plant. The notion apparently might be that the plant dies. And I found the original movies on YouTube, and I'm watching it, and I'm about two a minute and a half towards the end, and I'm like, well, this must be only part one of two because they haven't got time to do that. Like me reading it took longer than that, and no, they do do it, and they do it really quickly. And it's just, there's something really <laughs> freaky about it. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's creepy as shit. I, I will say, the original, while I wouldn't watch it again, because I think it's kind of schlocky and it's it was shot cheaply and, and not great. Jack Nicholson's scene is really good, actually. Um, and it's funny, because they, they, since then, like DVD covers for that original have all had Jack Nicholson's face front and centre, which is hilarious. Cause, yeah, because so Jack Nicholson plays the Bill Murray character, doesn't he? Yeah, he plays the, uh, the, yeah. the sort of like masochist that like wants to be hurt because he's, he's, he's into that. Um, and he goes to the dentist. Um, the, yeah, it's, 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 it's in fr- public domain now because it was made in the, uh, in the 60s, which is why it's just free on YouTube because no one owns the rights mm-hmm. to it anymore. And a lot of different companies have put out DVDs of it over the years with various pictures of Jack Nicholson's face hoping to shill a few copies um and uh, that's that presumably works because <laughs> but imagine the disappointment imagine them doing a version of this with bill murray's face on the cover how disappointed yeah, would you yeah, be with bill, bill murray's face front and center <laughs> yeah that's fair. <laughs> it's a that's weird fair. thing to do so general general triv dan what we got yes um so let's take a look uh because I've, obviously some of this i've worked into the uh into the discussion uh, so the original production of Little Shop of Horrors, the musical, was 1982, and then it transferred. It was originally in the uh, WPA Theatre in New York, and then it transferred to the Ophirium Theatre, and it ran from 1982 to 1987, about a year after this originally, um, uh, a year after the movie went out. You'd have thought that would held it on for a little bit longer, but there you go. Um, it did a total of 2,209 performances. Um, and then its uh, full Broadway debut was actually 17 years later at the Virginia Theatre in October 2003 um, and August 2004, totaling 372 performances. There have been a ton of different off-Broadway and on-Broadway performances since, including one where Josh Radner of How Might Your Mother fame played Seymour, mm. which I think is a good, good nice bit of casting. Um, the actual musical isn't a nostalgia. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. Like There was a version in the UK where Sean Williamson, Barry from EastEnders, played Mr. Um, Musnick, which oh, I also that's would have great. liked to have seen. 
Yeah, that's great. That's good casting for Mushnick. That's great. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it's 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 good fun. Um, the, the as I mentioned earlier, the broader musical also has the has the dark ending. It's not weirdly though. It's not so the, the movie is kind of a period piece because it's made in the eighties, but it's kind of styled sixties in terms of the clothes everyone is wearing, and the songs are sort of you know a lot of them are like doo-wop songs from you know that era. So there's a lot of sixties stuff in there. Which by the way, one of my favorite moments, my one of my favorite shortcuts in this entire movie. When he tells the story of the plant, he goes, well, you know that total eclipse of the sun? And it goes, Daru. And it goes into the song that tells the story of how he found the plant. Later in the movie, someone asks him how he found the plant, and it goes, Daru. And it just cuts to the next scene. And you just know he's told that story. That's brilliant filmmaking. <laughs> um, so, it's yeah, so it's, you know, it's a... Uh, the the musical version, uh, not 60s at all. It's just very generic. They're just wearing normal modern day clothes in most versions of it. Um, none of them have actually lent into the 60s aesthetic. So, um, as I mentioned, Geffen went to Warner's to get the adaptation made pretty shortly thereafter. They had a script by 1983, which when you think the movie, uh, sorry, the musical happened in 1982, it took him a year to want to have a script for a movie <laughs> ready to go. Um, he, Like I said, he'd been the vice president back in the late 70s and had a lot of connections there, so it was very easy. When he first tried to get it made, he wanted Steven Spielberg to help produce it, and then he wanted Martin Scorsese to direct it. That'd have been a that'd have been a different movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, uh, John Landis apparently was attached to direct for a little while, uh, but the job eventually went to Frank Oz, who seemed very suitable for the role. Obviously, having worked extensively with puppets previously, he was a veteran at the Henson Company, voice of Yoda for those who don't know, and Miss Piggy. Um, and he just finished working apparently on Muppets Take Manhattan when um, he got offered to do this. Now Geffen had wanted Moranis for Seymour immediately like from the minute they were looking to make this as a movie but frank oz wasn't on board till a year or two later so when oz was hired apparently moranis approached him they didn't know each other and basically said it doesn't matter who the producers want it's your movie so the casting is your decision so moranis immediately was like well look i'm not gonna piss off this director by being like the producer's casting choice if he doesn't want to like if he doesn't think i'm right for the role that's absolutely his right so moranis pulled him aside and basically said that but in meeting, they got on really well, had a really interesting, like a really good vision for the film between the two of them. And they were really happy and they ended up working together. So there you go. Um, I like that Moranis did that, though. It's very nice of him. He seems like a nice guy. Um, the studio apparently wanted Barbara Streisand or Cindy Lauper to play Audrey uh, One. Uh, Lauper did actually want the part as well, but couldn't commit due to recording and touring schedule at the time. Madonna was also reportedly considered for the role. Um uh, but Geffen, obviously, who produced the musical, really wanted Ellen Green to reprise her role. He was absolutely right. He seems very, he seems very savvy, doesn't he? He knew the ending wouldn't work. It, uh, he was the one who wanted to bring Ellen, uh, Ellen Green on. Yeah, he certainly uh, seems like he knows his shit. <laughs> he really does. I, I don't know much about him, uh, to be honest with you, other than that I know he's like a mogul. His name's on a lot of stuff, Geffen Records, Geffen Productions. Like, I know he's I know he's responsible for a lot of things, but I don't know much about him. But everything I read into this made, me, made it sound like he really does know his stuff. Um, so apparently it was her idea to wear a blonde wig over the brunette curly hair that she actually has on the stage show version because she thought it was funny. Um... Because well, apparently the, the 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 writer had originally seen Audrey the character as a brunette, more of a sort of a, a Jackie Joseph look, which is the the the, 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 the lady who played her in the nineteen sixties one. Um, but that so that was her idea, so she brought that to the role as well as obviously an amazing performance. Um, Eddie Murphy was actually considered for the voice of Audrey too. 
um that yeah that i could in the 80s he was he was pretty hot property around that point that would have been a that would have been good don't know about his singing um oh no he can sing can't he i've heard him sing before i think he can sing so there you go so maybe that would have worked who knows uh john I think he sings in his stand-up, like he does like impressions of other singers and turns out he can sing. <laughs> I vaguely remember that from when I watched his old stand-ups as a kid. Um, John Candy was actually offered the part of Mushnick, but basically asked if they were anything a bit smaller. Um, so that's when Oz gave him Wink Wil- 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 Wilkinson or whatever he was called, the shock jock radio DJ guy, who had a whole show about weird stuff that the audience, he could describe to the audience because they couldn't see it. By the way, I love that scene because you see it's a room full of people with weird shit. And my favorite is just as a guy on the end in a flying machine. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I can love that movie. Um, Vincent Gardinia has insisted... Wait, wait, wait. Go back. What movie's that? This movie. <laughs> the sunbathing? Flying machine. Where's the flying machine? What? So when, talked about... when he's in the waiting room to go on to the show that John Candy's character does about people showing him weird shit, there's a room yeah. full of people... Oh, yes, that dude. Oh, that that was very funny. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I thought we'd still... So we talked about so many endings. I'm like, I don't remember an ending with a flying machine. <laughs> yeah. No, no there's just that's a guy. brilliant. That, <laughs> that guy is such a great random sight gag. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just fantastic. It just pulls back in this room full of people with weird shit. And a lot of them, it's like, it's sort of stuff you sort of understand why they've got it. But he's just in this full, really impractical head to toe flight gear. It's amazing. It's such a good gag. Love it. Um,. Vincent Gardinia has insisted that he was cast as Mushnick because Frank Dawes liked my name. Because <laughs> Gardinia, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Who knows? Um, all it's the name scene... that fits the part. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's, he's meant he's... to be a guardian, and yeah. Yeah. He's oh, he's uh, he's so good. Um, he's really great in this film, particularly the the the, the supper time song, and when he tries to pull Seymour up for like. Uh, you know, for doing, which I yeah, thought was we... really clever because at first you're like, dude, why don't you go to the police? But then you realise he's going to try and get the plant from Seymour, so he's not that great a guy either. Yeah, we've not highlighted him as much as we perhaps could have. He's he's brilliant. Yeah, apparently in the stage show, his character gets to sing, but they cut four songs from the stage show to fit into the movie, which is natural. You always end up cutting a handful of songs when you do a transition like that. And apparently mm-hmm. pretty much all of them in, were the ones that involved him singing. <laughs> and, uh, and apparently... Because yeah, aren't, the, aren't well, the cops that are after him in the original movie in the stage show as well? Yes, I, I think. think so. Yes. Yeah. And they're briefly here, aren't they? Because isn't there a bit where they're interviewing Audrey after, uh, after the dentist goes missing? Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's supposed to be like the little nod to them. But apparently, Vincent Gardini has got a great singing voice, so it's a bit of a shame we didn't we didn't hmm. get him um, to sing. Um, all the scenes were filmed at Pinewood Studios in England, um, including what was at the at the time the largest studio set in the world. It's known as the 007 stage. Um, they didn't want to shoot on location because they thought it would ruin the fantastical mood of the film. And part of the uh, giant 007 stage was used to film. Uh, the suddenly Seymour number, and it was so big that the stage was actually impossible to heat, and they were actually having condensation coming out of their mouths while they were singing. Oh, God. Um, so they counted this by putting ice cubes in the actors' mouths. Oh, wow. Blimey. No, there you go. It took two months to build the set, and it was actually designed on the real Manhattan Skid Row, which is near the Bowery. 
So there you go. Um, The Little Shop of Horrors comes from a long line of shows that have a Greek chorus, uh, a consistent group of characters that offer a a variety of background and summary information to help the audience um, follow the performance. Um, The very first example of this on record is a famous play called Antigon. Sure. (laughs) I thought it was... uh, I might be wrong. I thought it was very... um, I thought it was Brecht. I thought it was a very Brechtian technique. Um, but mm-hmm. I might be completely wrong there. I, I, this lists a few different famous examples. Some stick out to me as you know, Fiddler, Fiddler on the Roof, Hercules, nineteen ninety-seven. That the, the Disney animated one that has that uses the Greek chorus because it's set in Greece. So it makes sense. Um, even apparently they count something about Mary as having one because they have something called the Annoying Band who sing songs multiple points of the movie to sort of bring the plot. Oh forward. yeah, yeah. And apparently they describe Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory as being one because the Umpalumpas do it. Hmm. That's surprising because the Umpalumpas aren't in there, aren't in it until they get to the chocolate factory. But they do sing songs to, to explain the plot as the, the rest of it goes. Yeah, on, that's so. true. Yeah, that's so true. I guess they sort of count in a weird way. Um, Frank Oz originally wanted the Greek chorus to be highlighted by a spotlight whenever they appeared, but this proved impractical as the light kept spilling over onto the actors. Um, although he did manage, manage to have them magically remain dry during rain sequences in the in the movie. Uh, yeah. Jess noticed noticed that really annoyed her. She was like, "Why are these Why are these girls not wet in the very first scene?" Yeah, wow. I mean, I thought that was really clever because it sort of puts them as out of the story. But there you go. Yeah, well, I said that. I said, "Well, Jess, I think you'll find um, what it's done here is he's used that device, uh, the director, to put them out of the story and make them seem like more <laughs> mythical beings." Um, and uh, and she says, "Shut up, you wanker." Um, yeah, <laughs> good times. That didn't happen. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I didn't actually notice it at that point, but that's because I think uh, you know I didn't know it was uh, definitely a musical. I didn't know what was going on, um, but I I think it is absolutely very clever. Yeah, very very clever. Um, he originally wanted the. I oh, know we've done that one. Um, they, so the, the, they're called uh, Crystal, Ronette, and Chiffron, uh, which are named after famous girl groups from the fifties and sixties: the Ronettes, the Chiffrons, and the Crystals. Mm, nice. Um, the actresses uh, who played them rehearsed a brief dance solo that would have appeared during the song Dentist but it was actually cut during production to prevent distracting from Steve Martin's performance which I think is fair Mm, yeah yeah I could see that maybe interrupting the flow of how that all worked so uh, the old woman who sings Skid Row um, is actually a Tony nominated singer and actress uh, called Bernice Redding and it's apparently been reported multiple times that um, erroneously that she was overdubbed by Michelle Weeks who is one of the three chorus girls um oh shit and apparently that's yeah that's not true she sang the song live on set um and it was actually sadly her final film performance before she she passed away in, in 1991 uh, but she does a, yeah, she does a, a wonderful shit. job she's great uh, so there you go. So um, all the people who created the puppets for Audrey 2 were part of the Jim Henson company. Um, and actually one of the operators was Brian Henson, Jim's Jim's son. So there you go. Very nice. Yeah. Creature created Lyle Conway, designed Audrey 2 um, from scratch, and he modelled the lips of the smaller version after uh, Ellen Green's lips, which I thought was weird, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. This is the best one. I did say the best one. This is one of my favourites. That's quite a that's quite a bizarre attention to detail. It is, but you know what? When you when you're designing a thing, you're putting a lot more thought yeah. into it than the audience ever are. So, yeah, true. <laughs> um, 
so <laughs> across the the various versions of the plant to create it they used uh, 1500 no sorry <laughs> 15000 hand painted leaves 2000 wow. feet of vine and 11 and a half miles of cable to make Audrey come to life Audrey 2 sorry come did, to life did they destroy the puppets afterwards or is Audrey 2 somewhere I assume it was somewhere, because I, I don't know specifically the, the answer to that in terms of Audrey 2, but um, they did, the Henson Company were very good at keeping their puppets. Um, some of them sadly okay. degraded over the years. Um, I know some of them are mm-hmm. on display, like there's a Yoda that's on display from the Empire Strikes Back shoe that's sadly, the, the, the they didn't make him out of materials designed to last, and he's sort of degraded over the years. But um, they, they definitely keep a lot of them in storage, so I would I would presume somewhere still. Hmm. Cool. I just wondered. Yeah, I don't know for sure, um, but I, I would assume so. They were very good at doing that. Um, so they actually had... Um, we already mentioned no blue screens used in Audrey. We won't, we won't hit on the same stuff there. Um, the scenes in which the two largest Audrey 2 puppets were performing um, were filmed at a lower speed, as I mentioned earlier, 16 frames per second and 12 frames per second. This act meant the actors had to move and lip sync in slow motion. That is incredible. Um, that, that remains one of my favorite facts. Um now, the supper time number actually weirdly had to use two different sizes of Audrey. The plant singing alone in the shop is actually a smaller size, um, the same size as when he sang Feed Me, but now standing on a scaled-down set to make it look larger. The full-sized one that is seen to interact with Seymour and Mushnick was not provided with lip movement, which is why they had to do that. Um, he was just designed to swallow Mushnick, that middle one. So there you go. Hmm. Uh, Audrey 2's on-camera growth at the end of Grow With Me was achieved by placing the plant on a track concealed by the flower pot and then drawing the plant closer to the camera. Because I thought that effect looked great and I couldn't work out how yeah. they did it. Yeah, I mean, like, all of these, like, obviously, we've not said it because it's obvious, but Frank Oz and the, and the Henson Company, just, just geniuses. Yeah, top to bottom, geniuses. It's incredible, the, the visuals in this movie. It's they, they, I, I, Very rare can we say this on this podcast, but they totally hold up. Yeah, oh, absolutely they do. Like I said, I honestly was shocked that it wasn't CGI. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see somebody being like, like you know, feeling like that. They must have used computer manipulation to do it because it just, mm. especially when we, I mean, look, Gremlins was amazing. There was some really great puppetry in Gremlins, but Jesus, this this knocks it out of the park. This is like, this is, this shit's all over Gremlins. And I love Gremlins. Mm. Um, yeah, so there you go. Another, um, another freaky puppet movie you've made me watch. Yeah, freaky puppets. It's the future. Um, so it took Steve Martin six weeks to film all of his scenes. He contributed many ideas to it, including socking the nurse in the face. Originally, he was supposed to just knock her out using gas and ripping off the doll's head. Um, the dentist's office was originally much more grungy and blood splattered, but those details did not go over well with test audiences. The set was cleaned up and scenes were reshot for the final film. I question that one a little bit because I don't know if they'd have been able to get Steve Martin back to do all of his scenes again. But there you I was going to say, well, and Bill, and Bill Murray, presumably. Yeah. Like, they got Steve Martin and Bill Murray back? Yeah, not sure i buy that one, but there you go. Hmm. Um, on the subject of Bill Murray, obviously, I already mentioned that he had no written dialogue once he was in the chair, except for um, cries of pleasure. Um, but over the course of the two days that he filmed, he riffed a bunch of ad-libs, which presented all sorts of challenges for the people editing the scene. Um, the young girl seen leaving the dentist office before Murray's scene is Heather Henson, daughter of Jim Henson. Oh, cool. We already mentioned it, but of course, Jack Nicholson's debut was in the 1960s version, playing that very role. Um, I put, I, I ordered these so that there'd be a flow to it, but we got to a lot of it anyway. So, um, <laughs> I wondered, I wondered. It's so funny. I wondered over um, 
to check something for for my choice and i uh i googled because you were talking about it at the time i think i i googled the cover the dvd the blu-ray and the dvd cover and the original vhs cover because i remember you saying it intrigued you uh and in my searches came up the like literally it's like the rocky for the original it's like the rocky horror picture show in color featuring jack nicholson (laughs) Rocky like, Horror Picture Show. I assume you mean Little sorry, Shop of Horrors. Sorry, Little Shop of Horrors <laughs> yeah. in colour featuring Jack Nicholson. And like Jack Nicholson's face is on the spine. And, yeah. It's amazing. So the one that um, that I'm referring to is the hand-drawn one of the sort of yeah, city so. with, uh, with Audrey and then the four main characters being held up by... Yeah, by the assumption, it looks cool. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's a great piece of art, and that's what that's what drew me to it originally. I was just like, "What is this? I want to see this movie." <laughs> What's this pot plant eating people? I didn't know if he's eating people, but like attacking people. It just, yeah, blew my mind. Um, where was I? Well, yeah, so the Jack Nicholson one's so funny. Oh yeah, look at this one. Roger Corman's Little Shop of Horrors. It's Jack Nicholson pointing to a plant. And yeah. He, yeah. Uh, like, he's not. He's he's in the movie for like two minutes. Like, that's, that's like, not the film. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, the dental t- tools used in the dentist's office during the Bill Murray scene actually end up reappearing, weirdly, in another Warner Brothers movie, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. They're the tools used to, um, ironically, on Jack Nicholson's Joker after he falls into the chemicals. Oh, wow. So he played the patient that was worked on with the tools in the original version, and then he got to those tools ended up... Finding their way back to him through the through his performance of the Joker. That's cool. Weird. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the shot pulling away from Audrey after the song "Somewhere That's Green" was so long it required two cranes, one placed on top of the other, to pull it off. The camera shifts oh, wow. a little when one crane stops and the other one takes over. You can actually spot it. I went back, looked at it, and uh, yeah, you, you can just about see it. Um, oh wow! So there you go. Um, the uh, scene in which the doctor pushes the uh, double swinging doors open to Audrey's apartment, uh, Steve Martin actually cut his hands and the glass shattered on the original take, the first take. As a result, in the final cut, he's kicking the door open, which is a subsequent take they did. <laughs> because he could no longer use his exactly. hand to push it because he just cut his hands. Yeah. God. <laughs> it works well, though. It's impactful. Yeah, to be honest, it's yeah, in it character. Fit, yeah, it fits really well. I love everything about his character. I like all the scenes of his character talking to Seymour outside of the. You know that. Well, I say all the scenes. That one scene where he first meets Seymour in the alley, and he's like, "What's your name?" It's Sydney, and he's like just released it, listing all similar names, and then eventually, oh, oh this scene, oh, it's heartbreaking, really, because Audrey goes, "It's Seymour," and he's like, "Did I talk to you or whatever?" It's horrible. He's such a bastard. They they do a really good job making you hate that character, even though he's so funny. Yeah, they do. It's very, very good. Very effective. Um, so apparently, uh, Frank Oz originally wanted to use an over-the-shoulder shot of Rick Moranis and Vincent Gardenia in the supper time sequence when Mushnick's offering Seymour a way out. But apparently all the takes of that were ruined because Rick Moranis and Vincent Gardenia kept cracking each other up. So none of the none of the uh, the over-the-shoulder shots could be used and they ended up having to use the close-ups. <laughs> But again, I think that's quite atmospheric. Yeah, it works really well. So I'm, no one's complaining, I think. Um, apparently, the wardrobe and props were obtained from thrift stores in New York to attain a period realism. But the most difficult thing to find were the garbage cans. So the set decorator, Tessa Davis, drove around in a truck 
filled with brand new trash cans. And whenever she saw an old one outside of someone's home, she would trade with them. She would offer them a trade. She's often she's she's apparently been quoted as saying, "People thought I was crazy," which is yeah, I would have mm. done too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, there's so much trivia. I'm so sorry. Um, hopefully, this is interesting to people. I'm not just like driving everyone crazy. Well, um, how much more is there? How much a, more can there be? There's a fair bit more. We'll, I pro- we'll, we'll get in there. We're getting there. We're nearly done. I promise. <laughs> the neon sign um, choose blinks just the words Oz at one point, obviously, which is a little reference to the director, Frank Oz. It's a nice one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mushnik is seen on the phone with one of his biggest clients, Mrs. Shiver, whose family is dropping off like flies. This is actually a reference to an elderly um, shop patron with the same name and a similar problem in the original Little Shop of Horrors from 1960. Hmm. So there you go. Um, the opening crawl on that hole on the 23rd day of the month of September in a decade, not long, not too long from our own, is apparently a spoof of Star Wars and the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> thing. So there you go. Um, I have noticed that, but that's quite cool. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, the, apparently, and this is one of those nitpicky people will nitpick, but the gun used in the movie is a Smith & Wesson Model 37, or 36, sorry. And near the end of the movie, Audrey uses the gun to shoot at Seymour. There are about 12 shots fired without reloading during the scene. That gun apparently only has a five-shot capacity. Movie ruined. <laughs> yeah, because the big plant that eats people isn't the problem. <laughs> Seymour uh, did not apparently have well he didn't have glasses in the original Roger Corman movie but for some reason he has always done in the Broadway show (laughs) yeah it's uh, it's one of those weird things that just they've kept since the musical Um, the character works with glasses yeah I would agree I would agree Um, a song entitled Bad was composed for the film's climax the scene was even storyboarded and it remained in the script from the first draft in 1983 until the final draft in 1985 it was suddenly replaced by Mean Green Mother from Outer Space um, basically at the last minute before production Um, now a demo of Bad exists performed by by Ron Taylor who voiced Audrey 2 in the original stage play it was done as a bonus track for the Broadway cast album in 2003 and it's um true to its name it's bad um no it's it's not a terrible song it's a bad song for the climax of the movie it's the it would have been basically the song sang while they you know while seymour and audrey have their face off at the end instead of mean green mother mm. and it is just wrong for that it's 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 seymour talking about how he's about how he's bad but it's just doesn't have the energy of mean green mother from outer space and it just it wouldn't have worked mm. i don't think we haven't talked about this yet, actually but in that sequence by the way nadia's favorite part almost the whole movie other than the dentist scene, which she does love, um, was that, that Audrey 2 got a chorus of his own mm. buds singing along yeah, with Yeah, that was amazing. That was great. So much fun. Um, the song Some Fun Now was adapted from the off-Broadway show as the song... Um, was adapted from the... Oh, sorry. So Some Fun Now, which is the song that they play in the movie, which is it's a really upbeat sort of um, song... And it's done over the um, over the sequence of Seymour suddenly, just slowly being drained of his energy as his blood keeps getting... It's a really great... It's such an upbeat number. I love the contrast between that and Seymour having to keep giving his blood to the, to the, to the plant. It's a great moment. But apparently it's mildly based off the off-Broadway show's You Never Know song. It's a completely different melody, but some of the lyrics are borrowed. Um, so there you go. Uh, what else have we got here? Oh, the songs that were cut are Mushnik and Son. Now it's just the gas... And call back in the morning. Oh, and close for renovation. We're all cut. They're the songs that didn't quite make it. 
Um, they actually wrote two other new songs to go in the end credits. The um, Your Day Begins Tonight and Crystal Runner and Chiffron. But these were actually dropped in the end in, for, in favor of a melody of songs from the rest of the movie over the credits. So there you go. Um, cool. Apparently every song except Dadu is somehow different on the soundtrack. Um, some drastic, some mi- minor in terms of orchestration, singers, the ta- which takes they use, and even additional verses and alternate lyrics being used um yeah pretty strange but that's happened but there you go hmm. uh, a couple more and then we're getting out i promise we're, we're, we're right on the cusp chris okay. <laughs> uh mean green mother from outer space um was the first oscar nominated song to contain profanity oh that's interesting yeah so there you go, and apparently there was a, that caused them to have to do a, a re-edit of the song, removing some of the more risque lyrics um, for for the films uh, for like for you know uh, like a twelve-inch release that then went out um, to help promote the Oscar thing. So there you go, and play on the radio, I presume. Um, as part of the film's promotion, an Audrey Two plant was occasionally interviewed in character by the press, and at least on one occasion, the interview condu- concluded with Audrey Two eating the interviewer. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that's that is a marketing team on fire. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, a sequel was actually announced, but never materialized. Unsure why. Who would have been involved? No details at all about that. But uh, Warner Brothers at one point were like, "Yeah, we're definitely going to make another one." And then question marks. So who knows? I did wonder that whether there was any sort of talk of that. Yeah, but apparently at one point for sure. Um, <laughs> The weirdest bit of trivia is about the Saturday morning cartoon. Do you know? Have you seen anything? Have you stumbled across this in your in your research no, since you no. discovered it? So they did a they did a Saturday morning cartoon, um, Chris. You know, remember the remember the Back to the Future cartoon? Yeah, yeah. Imagine that, but for this, it's really weird, out of place because the movie's so horrific, and it's it's the entire shop gang along with a nicer version of Audrey too, um, just getting in adventures and scrapes and stuff. None of the movie cast are involved. Um, it was just called Little Shop. Obviously, downplay the horror stuff. And Audrey 2 is just a happy talking plant in the show that doesn't eat anyone. That that sounds crazy. It's it, Google it and look at the image. It, it's in, like, yeah, it's, it's a little shop and then animated. And you'll see, okay. like, what it looked like. It looked ridiculous. That sounds <laughs> it's, really weird. It's really weird. I've only ever I've only ever seen bits of it, but the whole show is... Yeah, it's it's art style particularly stands out as being a really odd way to reimagine this movie. Um, but yeah, there you go. So if you for listeners at home, do Google it. You'll you'll enjoy what you see. And then this is the one that I just this this, this excites me so much. In January 2020, mm. Full Circle Cinema reported a remake is in the works. Taron Egerton in talks to play Seymour. Scarlett Johansson in talks to play Audrey. Billy uh, Porter in talks to play Audrey too. And the best piece of casting in the history of anything, Chris Evans is in talks to play the dentist. Let's talk about that for Which a second. Which would be amazing. After watching Knives Out, yes. 
You just yeah, and obviously, um, Tara. I don't, I don't know much about Scarlett Johansson's singing voice, but obviously, Tara Edgerton. I can never say his name, but he's got an amazing singing voice. Mm-hmm. I just think that would be such a lot of fun. I'd be so intrigued. I think it's like ripe for it. Like I appreciate maybe there's some people out there that are like no, the original's perfect. Don't touch it. But I just think like puppetry but also if you wanted to go down the cgi route we've we've come so far that i just think it 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 would be fascinating and it's it's been so long and that version itself is a remake i just yeah i think it's ripe for the picking yeah i can't decide if i want them to like do a remake of the movie and do the movie or if they want to um like just do something completely different with the premise and not do it as a musical, not use the same songs, do something completely different. I don't know because obviously mm. the musical was so different from the Corman one. Mm. So there's a party that goes, "Ah, oh, are we going to get another complete reimagining of this premise?" Like that kind of is exciting, but then at the same time, part of me is just like, "Wouldn't it be nice to see another like version of this?" Because these songs are so good. This, you know, these characters. Yeah, like so... suddenly Seymour. Would they do the dark ending? Skid which end- which yeah. ending would they do? I don't know. Oh my god, which ending would they do, Chris? Well, well, no, I do know. Nowadays, they'd do the first ending in the hope of getting a sequel. The, the happy ending? Yeah. In the hopes of in the hopes of getting a sequel and building a franchise out of it. They'd, you know, war on the planet of the apes before the apes, whatever that's called it. Right. Yeah. Oh god, I hope not. I I would love to see the destruction of New York at the end of the movie again. I, it's clear that's where I'm, I'm, where my heart is. But um, yeah, either way though, I'm really excited. Um, yeah, but just you, I, I see what you're saying, but I just, you know, studios these days, I could just imagine them being like, oh yeah, and then and then we'll build to the destruction. Yeah, I could, but I could also see a much bolder studio being like, like it depends who does it, but like just being like, yeah, go nuts, do the crazy ending that everyone's talked about for so many years. I could also see a studio seeing dollar signs in their eyes for that release if word got around mm. they were committing to the crazy ending. Yeah, it's true. So I could see, I could see both versions of that um, sort of playing out. So where do we land then? Are we, are we I mean, because obviously I'm recommending, I love this movie, top to bottom, it's incredible. Um, we, we've always done this as a recommend, not recommend Yeah, I'd recommend it. I think it's a fascinating watch. And honestly, like, even if... And I did like it. I just... You know, there are elements of it that I'm like, huh? Um, But even if I didn't like it, I would recommend it just on the... Just on the artistry of it anyway. Like, just to... if, If you're only watching to marvel at Frank Oz and what they did with their 2,000 leaves and all of that sort of stuff... That alone makes it a recommend. Right, yeah. So so anyone out there who sadly has now had the movie spoiled top to bottom for them, but who hasn't seen this yet, you're like you, you would absolutely advise them to watch it. Yeah, definitely. Would you would you describe yourself as a fan? Well you you sound like you're gonna watch the, the, the remake when they do it, if they do it. I'd watch the remake out of fascination, yeah. I don't know I don't know if I'd go as far as to say fan of the movie. Um but you know, I I enjoyed myself and I certainly got engrossed in it, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one last thing, actually, we didn't talk about is um, you mentioned you hinted at some obvious edit points that you noticed watching the original, the the the, the released ending. Um, you, you might, I'd, be, I'd be curious to know what you what you clocked, what you, what felt off to you about the original ending in those cuts. 
Oh, just like the the turn and the the speed in which it it just knowing there was an alternative ending made me more on the lookout for it. I don't think you'd necessarily notice, but it notice it um, if you didn't know there was an alternative ending. But certainly, like him pulling her out of Audrey too, and Audrey being completely fine, you sort of go, I wonder if that takes a different turn. <laughs> Right, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see yeah. the bits that I noticed, but I noticed them on the rewatch now that really stand out. As, I don't use the word problematic because these days problematic is code for like it was sexist or something. But like the things that stuck out to me that don't work is <laughs> Audrey being all like, I'm going to come in and help you. He's like, no, you can't. You might as well literally at that point be like, you know, because what he says is, I need to do this on my own. It's between me and the plant. But what he might as well be saying is, you're not in the original footage of me facing this plant, Audrey. Stay out here. Yeah. (laughs) That's really overt. Because you're right. Why would he go in alone? It doesn't make any sense. And then the the obvious insert shots of Audrey looking in from the window. (laughs) Like, they really stand out to me now. (laughs) I love as well, especially with the music cue, the kind of bottom of him like lifting the cable. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Yeah. So in both versions, you're thinking, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Seymour would get up so easily after having all that lot land on him. True. That is very true. I do love when 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 Audrey two sort of like finishes eating Seymour, the glasses get spat back up in the in the dark version. That's a great visual. The, the broken Seymour glasses just land. Yeah, that is a great. That visual. is a very good visual. I mean, and him 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 getting swallowed is is also a great visual. Yes, I mean, I guess that must be direct. I can I can picture that on stage. Like I can picture uh, yeah, that, like the, the character, how you know, probably in a harness, getting slowly lifted up as it's ah. Uh, to that glo- that like almost like this glorious moment of like the plant completing its its job you know the plant wins it's crazy yeah the uh, the only other edit thing that i noticed that always stands out to me and to the and i didn't know until this time why i thought it was really really um, i don't know if you can hear chris but it's hit eight o'clock in the uk and um everyone's clapping for the nhs again can you can you hear quite rightly how do yeah, I can hear it outside mine. Quite right too. There you go. Well, unless you unless you voted for the Conservative Party, then you don't have any right to clap for the uh, for the NHS because you you voted to throw it away. <laughs> anyway, um, like fuck off. <laughs> it's a, not not a popular opinion, but it just drives me mad. It's so hip, it's so hypocritical. I love the NHS. They're great. Yeah. Why did you vote for the Tories then? Anyway, um, different story. <laughs> the thing that I always noticed. What's that, sorry? They're just outside mine. They're proper loud. Oh yeah, they're really loud here too. Mm. So if you don't know about this, the, the, the listeners who are listening from other countries, um, it's, this is the second week in a row that on a Thursday at eight o'clock, everyone sort of popped out and applauded. That's the third time, some... actually. Sorry, it's the third. Is it the third? I didn't hear a second one. Yeah, because I remember the first, and then I remember the second one, not realizing it was happening again, and being like, "Huh? Oh, okay. Oh, well, there you go." Um, the other thing that always stands out to me edit wise is I always found the, the shot when Seymour and Audrey go into the house at the end, happy ending and the camera's Mm. pulling back and the three girls walk into frame and then it pans down to Audrey too. I always found the angle really weird and the way it pulls down before the third girl's face comes into frame. 
And I always found that really weird and awkward, even before I knew there was another ending. I just thought that was a really weird shot. The whole movie is so well framed. I thought, that's it's weird. The reason, it turns out, I only discovered this week, is that the third um, girl could not come back for shooting when they did the reshoots. Oh, shit. So that's why the first two girls come into frame smiling, and then by the time the third girl is in frame, the camera has gone down so low that you're only really seeing her sort of like lower half. Uh, and that's why they shot it that way. So yeah, yeah right. I didn't. I'd that, have to rewatch it. I didn't notice it, but I'd have to. That's actually another negative for me with the uh, with the happy cut is it feels like they didn't really have a place for them in the happy ending. They they, they yeah. I think yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And I, and they were so present throughout the whole movie. It almost stands out that suddenly they're just walking through, smiling at the in that last shot. Because of the reshoot, yeah, and the the alternative cut is such a nice, um, like there's such a powerful visual, especially like the full color version with the flag um, of them with the flag and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and it means they bookend the movie, whereas in this version, yeah, exactly, they just sort of awkwardly shuffle through the shot. <laughs> they're here. Look, they're look, they exist. They didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it's really yeah, and obviously they've had to do it that way because they didn't have one of the actresses. But there you go. Um, so that you go. That's 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 the movie. I, I a huge recommend. I think if you haven't seen it, although we've spoiled it for you now, you should absolutely go watch this movie. And if you and if you have, go watch it again. Maybe buy that DVD. Um, and and definitely keep an eye out for uh, for the for the for the remake. That's going to be awesome. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really hope that I really hope the remake happens, and I really hope it happens with that cast as well. Yeah, not a hundred percent sold on Scarlett Johansson. Um, her, her singing voice is a, it's okay. Um, she sang in her, um, and it's it's all right. It's kind of got a soft, quiet tone to it. So it'll be it would be, it, oh god, is she going to be able to hit suddenly Seymour if they do do the music? If they don't do the, if they, if they don't do the mu- if scene. they don't do the music, I don't care. But if they do, that's going to potentially be a problem. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I've heard her sing to to judge. Yeah, well, there you go. Very exciting. What are we watching next, Chris? That's the big question. Well, we're, I I've realised certainly like looking through the um, clips of the original Little Shop of Horrors, I was like, we've not really done like. You know, obviously from the perspective of 2020, we've done some old movies, but we've not done like a proper old movie. I don't know what the oldest would be that we've done. Um, Did we do something that I feel like maybe we did something that was like 79, did we? That felt incredibly 80s? Am I imagining that? I'd have to bring up the list because I always forget which films we have and haven't done on this thing. Robocop's pretty old. Obviously, this is fairly old. Yeah, we've done a reasonable amount of 80s stuff, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, let me have a look. What's the list? Here we go. Uh, quick change is pretty old. Short circuit is pretty old. These are all eighties, though. I think. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. If Bill sure. and Ted is eighties. So I, like, I, th- I, yeah, like, I think. Yeah, I think. I think early eighties is the furthest back we've gone. Well, well, now Dan, now we're going to nineteen sixty nine. Oh dear. Yeah. What do you mean, oh dear? You don't know what it is yet. I know, but I'm. Yeah, go on. I'm, uh, look, Why are you I'm, I'm a, you got... I, I don't know. I just, I've got a feeling you're going to choose something weird. <laughs> no, I'm choosing a bona fide classic, my friend. Are you really? Uh, and is this, that... is this a film that you've got, like, like what you saw as a kid? Because I, there aren't many movies that old I cared about as a kid. I watched a lot of 80s movies, and that was that was more than enough for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm way faster and looser with those rules than you are. Uh, no, I did definitely saw this as a kid. I definitely had... Um, a connection to this movie as a kid, and it's definitely a film that is nostalgic for me. 
Interesting. Without a doubt. I had it on DVD. I can picture it. It's one of those, you know when you can picture a DVD cover? Sure. Yeah. Um, we will be watching 1969's The Italian Job. Really? Oh, interesting. Mm. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good choice, I think. Have you have you seen it? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I can't tell you if I've seen the whole movie or, or just enough clips because it's because the clips are so iconic. <laughs> yes, so I can remember yeah. all that. Yeah, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off and the on the cliff at the end. Like I remember a lot of it. But do I remember it because I saw the whole movie, or do I remember it because <laughs> it's been parodied for a million years? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like and, and because and because I've seen those clips because it's so iconic. I don't know. Um, double checked. The earliest movie we've done so far is '86. Short Circuit. Yeah, fair play. Well, now not so now. No, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know what? I, I, no, it's a good choice. That is a solid choice. I, I would like to see that movie. I've never seen that movie. I reckon I shouldn't have too much trouble convincing Nadia to get on board with that. Um, so we can watch it together, which would be a nice thing to I do. Think, it's always nice when one of these movies it, is a movie I can also watch with Nadia. <laughs> she wasn't watching Robot yeah, I, with me. I don't think. <laughs> but whereas I don't think I don't think Jess will have any interest in it. Um, and I did. He chose a movie that I thought she would, but I, yeah. In the end, I was like, no, let's do. Let's stick with my guns and go old. The only other kind of older choice, but I'm less. I'm way less nostalgic with it. I just remember watching it as a kid. Was uh, Doctor No? I thought it would be interesting. Um, but I'm uh, yeah, I'm happy with the Italian job as a choice. I think it's going to be interesting because it is so iconic. How does it hold up as a complete movie? Will be interesting. Yeah, I, again, because I, like it's. I mean, here's the thing: even if I have seen the whole thing, I don't remember really seeing the whole thing because again, it's yeah. it's it's uh, it's clearly not a movie. It's a, clearly a movie. If I have seen it, I haven't seen it in at least twenty years. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like so because then, yeah. because I, otherwise I would have clearer memories of it. So it's going to be like watching it from new, whether I've watched it or not. Certainly not a big part of my childhood. I remember the remake coming out. And yeah, being to clarify, vaguely again, interested. 1969, Michael Caine, The Italian Job. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not 2003, Mark Wahlberg, The Italian Job. Which apparently is a, f- a reasonably watchable film if you don't think of it as an Italian Job movie. It's not even. It shouldn't even have been. Yeah, because it because like, if cause... memory serves, doesn't The Italian Job either happen in the opening or has already happened? No, it reference. They reference it. They say, "Let's do it like the Italian Job," and then they basically do the chase with Mini Coopers. Like they literally reference it. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, okay. Uh, but apparently, it's yeah. not about. I, my, my mem- I don't. I remember watching it and like um, just not being impressed. Yeah, or it's fine. Annoyed. It's, it's, it's but yeah, I've heard, I've heard since that it's reasonably good, like pretty watchable. Yeah, especially when you don't come into it with, "Oh my god, they're remaking the Italian Job." Right, like it's it's definitely serviceable. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. I'm excited. That's good. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah. I'm on board. I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward too. to it. Cool. So we'll see you guys in a week for that. If you're on the Patreon already, thank you. If you're not, join us on the Patreon to get these episodes early. Otherwise, subscribe, like, and all the jazz downstairs. Um, I say downstairs is in underneath the video. Feel free to comment. What did you think of Little Shop of Horrors? Which ending did you prefer? Oh, call to action. Mm. I'm cu- and this is a big one. Which ending did you prefer? Intended or theatrical? Please clarify. Please don't say original. That's confusing. Sorry, it just is. Yeah. 
Do you mean originals in what originally had in theatres or originals in the one he originally intended? It's very confusing. Intended cut or theatrical cut? Or director's cut? I'll take director's cut because that's clear as well. Either or, please, down below, let us know which one did you prefer. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. I've been Dan Doolan. I've been Chris Billingham. We'll come back next time when we discuss the Italian job. <laughs>